bones has a body got? A child's got more bones than a grown-up's got. A child's got more bones than a grown-up's got. With a pop quiz. Pop quiz. He's something. Damn, Rod, come on! What's the matter with you? Tomorrow. There's no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Mr. President! Mr. President! Mr. President! Your president. My president. This is President Michael J. Higgins and I'm listening to Tales from the East End. Last night I dug your picture out from our old dresser drawer. I set it on the table and I talked to it till four. I read some more love letters right up till the break of dawn Yeah, I've been sitting alone, digging up bones Then I went through the jewelry and I found our wedding rings I put mine on my finger and I gave yours a fling Across this lonely bedroom of our recent broken home yeah, tonight I'm sitting alone, digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. Zooming things that's better. Welcome to Test Eastland, episode two six nine, and it's me, Gary P. And of course, it's the prophet's Caroline. Happy Michael D. Trophy Ball Week, everyone. Uh, and of course, we have negotiated a brand new deal with our sponsors, Prof. A bumper new multi-year deal with Ocean Electrical. So. Thanks. Multi uh, big show out. Multi year. That's the deal. buzzword, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've renegotiated with them. And of course, we are back on board. So big show out to um, Ocean Electrical. Yeah. We have torn down Manscaped again, Prof. We've torn down their offers. We've swatted them away with their derisory offer. I don't think the email was real. I think it was a bot. <laughs> I think it was. It was definitely a bot. The bot had forgotten that they had already sponsored us <laughs> briefly yeah, yeah. for those magical three weeks where. Gary, uh, Gary said some <laughs> things which he later regretted. Yes, so um, Prof Small Talk, Prof is back on the musical bandwagon. He's been practicing and playing. What's this? Am I a fifty-year-old violin here? Yeah, it? it's a violin you have in your hand there. But well, Prof well, is back on the guitar. Yeah, well, Harry wasn't lying at the live show. I am a guitarist, and um, I'm not getting the band back together, as he said. But um, yeah, I'm playing again. Prof has been there. Uh, the fingertips have been bleeding, starting to get them back nice and hard. Yeah, they don't look, they haven't looked pretty now for a few weeks. So I must say that, but um, that's the life, that's the life of guitarist Gary. You have to play through the pain. <laughs> life of a musician. So it's our preview of the Presidents Cup in Tala this week, the annual Court and Razor. And we have two ex-player interviews. Sam Bone is in, prof, and he's fresh off his FA Cup heroics for non-league mates, known United. Caused a huge upset against Ipswich Town, and there's Neil O'Donoghue from Shamrock Rovers. To the NFL, so um, which is a wild story. Super Bowl being this week, prof. We have another Irish man in the NFL as well, a kicker. So it's very, very interesting topic. So I'm really mm. looking forward to Neil. Yes, yeah, so Neil was the last Irish-born player in the NFL until uh, Daniel Whelan. It's fascinating stuff, really, when you think about it. I think there was a rugby player recently took their chances. I'm not sure if they were Irish, but. They took a chance and they're gone to the NFL. So you never really see anyone bar kickers. Do you know what I mean? I think the guy that went from the rugby league is possibly 
a quarter or a, a running back or something along those lines anyway but um yeah so uh, our condolences to jeff dunn a friend of the show on the loss of his mother irene recently so we send our condolences to the dunn family Cronin Cass reaction prof from last week. Carl Cairns. Cronin Cass was great. Love listening to the staff about football. Deco at the end was sensational as ever. Um, yeah, brilliant stuff. Um, I think a lot of the fans appreciate the honesty more than anything. And I think Carl is a coach himself. So the coaching hat is on for some of our fans and some of the listeners. I think mm. they like that little bit of extra honesty as their coaches themselves. Yeah. Turner just finished the Glenn Cronin episode top class we Gar Brennan love Glenn talking about the night on the wall versus Ilves and it's mad to think that it had that impact on the players I was uh, we were not well enough but we were just sitting there loving the fact that they even noticed <laughs> and it, like the, I think the best quote was like is that a flare? <laughs> yeah I think Gar's Gar's other point is kind of like especially considering the state years are all in <laughs> the impact <laughs> that oh, that had on the game and the players if we had a camera on that moment again it would be <laughs> brilliant people mouldy scruffy <laughs> dirty trying to get themselves up it was like a scene out of a war film someone said if it wasn't for a dodgy stream in Malaya's we would have gone ill mm. yeah <laughs> Kevin McGlone very impressed with Glenn looks like the desire for five in a row is as strong as ever and we Paddy Daly really enjoyed that lads Glenn comes across as a humble lad so Cozy SRFC on Twitter Ah lads Cronencast was brilliant How many photos Does Glenn have in his phone Of stuff people said Negative About Rovers I think he has a folder I think he has The, the Rovers <laughs> Hatred folder I think one of my favourite Parts of the whole podcast Was That when we get beaten In Tala Which is a very rare occurrence Boy Glenn will go up And shake hands With the players And be like Are you getting the trophy tonight Or <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm going to be eyeing him up most times now <laughs> when we do have a game like that and it ends a bit tetchy. You're going to be eyeing him up now after that. Did you get the yeah. trophy for that tonight? I'd love to know what the, spon- the response is from people. Yeah. We had a, something similar with celebrations were in the news recently with Mikel Arteta. Prof, did you see a celebration for the 3-1 win against Liverpool? I saw the debate around it. I didn't actually see the it. Celebration police. Are you in favour or, or not in favour? I hate the celebration police. Yeah. I think so as well. I know we like there probably has been more than times where we've made fun of balls. Yeah. But that's just because it's balls. But in general, I, I don't like how he how do you decide how, how much you should celebrate? You you just do it in the moment. See the celebration police usually come out to throw the book at fans. See it's mm. a different now it's spin managers. now, it's managers and teams and players yeah. taking photos a la Gary O'Neill and and Greener. We seem to be setting the trend here, Prof. So uh, we had Odegaard taking photos of the photographer and the fans, but it was a weird one. So I don't know. It could come back to bite them in the end. I think if they don't win the league, obviously they will eat their words and eat their celebrations. Yeah, I mean, some Andrews different, aren't they? Some of them just like a little, the little quiet fist pump. Some of them like run up and down the touchline. They're all different. Right. Uh, ideally, you'd save the man stuff for when you're about to win a trophy or say like Shells 3-2 when you kind of know, yeah. okay, we're about to win the league now. That's it, our moment. It's still very early days in all yeah. leagues, so yeah, possibly premature. Only, only February, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, episode 269, Gar, um, we are gaining on What's the Story Pod. They have done 304 with a two-year head start. He Don't look, forget, he was Gar- for smoke the other day, wasn't he? I calculate 
that we will hit 300 by September and then then it's game on race the 350 that's what I said yep. race the, the 350 boys. at the day at the rate they release shows we will overtake them <laughs> bro this, this is you are gunning for this now that's the, <laughs> that's the thing uh, Mark McDermott great listen uh, Mark the Tog uh, someone asked me about the tune at the start that was actually old native Cape Verde music we used it before at the last AFCON two years ago um, it's called Foamy 47 I think it's a brilliant song yeah really um, cool one of the more unusual promo photos we use as well. Glenn wanted to hold the guitar for some reason, even though he couldn't play a note. <laughs> and then that even that got a funny response. Ian Byrne posted, "Stay off my patch." <laughs> <laughs> like I love the photo that we used for the, not the promo, but the, the podcast itself. Yeah, the Pico in the white background. Um. No the, no, the crowning one. Oh, the crowning one. Yeah. Where, oh yeah, yeah. Where yeah. he has the, the the clipboard. He has the set plays in his hand. Um. And I. I cut off half a brother's face on purpose so to be more focused on Glenn. But full disclosure, that was actually Daddy Mount after a defeat. So that's why he looks a bit sheepish. Yeah. But it was actually hard to find a great photo. What what defeat was that? I think it might have been the one where I think it might have been twenty nineteen according to the yeah. the article. But yeah, it's a cool photo, but with that knowledge, maybe you'll feel differently about it. The, my other option was there was one with Glenn pointing and Brazzer pointing from the dugout in unison. It was like a disco <laughs> move or something. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's, me, that's me notes there. That's it for Glenn. So that's all the praise out of the way and it aired the day before the George Bourne Memorial Quiz. So congrats to the champs. Hoops SC led by Dunster with Lee Grace on their team as well. So big but, shout out to the boys. Dunster said he got four out of 60 right so he was the difference maker but... Uh, yeah, well, yeah. all involved. Um, all of our volunteers and everyone who helped. It was a, it was a really, really successful night for the members club. So, um, here's to many more. But we cannot go anywhere without talking about the the grudge match has to happen. We're gonna have to have a darts night here because Jack Bourne versus Martin Moore. Are you talking about hashtag Dartgate? Have you got the question? No, and I refuse to go into this question because I like me darts and all, but. This melted my head. Right, just I, reading the question. I actually melted have it, my right? head. I'm gonna read it out. We should, we should say though, looking at the question on paper, makes more sense than how it was announced to the crowd. So it wasn't I, announced I the I same way it was on paper. I didn't think it was announced very well, very clearly. No. Right. So I'm gonna try and find this darts question because it was um, the topic of it was hotly debated between Martin Moore and Jared Bourne, the Battle of Ballybuck as it was and I, I I genuinely like it went on for like a good while <laughs> it was heated but, uh, but Jack had a number higher than the answer so what was Jack's argument I'm not sure I wasn't I was just enthralled <laughs> in what was going on in this heated discussion about darts and front oh, center the quiz it was brilliant so in the game of darts what is the lowest number higher than one that cannot be scored with two darts in the game of darts what is the lowest number higher than one that cannot be scored with two darts? There's a, it's cryptic. So mm-hmm. we won't even tell you the answer, will we? It was 103, 103 wasn't it? 103 was the answer. So that is... I think so. That's just from memory now. It was in, yeah, 103. Um, yeah, that was that was controversial. Um, the Tippies B team had a table. 
the little group Photoshop was on the, it actually the table. Onto, and which I did not print, but uh, <laughs> I'm not was hanging a, anyone here. You was North Korean leader. Uh, in terms of my team, Jonesy pulled out with the flu, unfortunately. So we had to replace him with uh, Mark from work. He was not a Rowers fan, but uh, we still had a good bit of crack. Uh, we didn't get any player initially, which was disappointing, but we got Leon Poles in the second half. Oh, did you get Leon in the second half? I meant to ask you that, actually. And he did have that cultured, you know, European intelligence, so he gave us a couple of answers <laughs> in fairness to him. Um, Stephen McPhail met Owen Walsh, and that went about as well as you'd expect. Um, apparently, Paul Feeney couldn't answer a question on any topic other than the history of Sagart and, and the surrounding hills. <laughs> So we were told, yeah. I, I'm quoting a teammate there now. That's not my opinion. We won't, um, we won't mention the, anything else. Yeah, Balls was at the Eurovision. I don't know if you know that. Um, there was some talented cartoonists doodling on their answer pages. Uh, very Watch impressive. this space. Very impressive drawings there. The best we could do was Mark spilled my entire point of Guinness on the round five sheet. We saw that. We saw the apology on the sheet. <laughs> yeah. So that's as artistic as we could get. Uh, here's a sheet that smells of Guinness. <laughs> um, Love Moya, fresh off her theatrical debut as a bee with the Foghorn. She caught Gaffney, Greenblood and Barry cheating. She made a few quid out of fines. Imagine cheating in a Robbers quiz. Shame, shameful. Uh, Greenblood says, rubbish. Gave the last a tip and she added me to the list of hatred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, list of hatred. That, was, that brought back memories when he said it. Emma um, said, um, how did World War Two start, Granda? Was it the Israeli attack on Palestinians? Well, my boy, there was a table quiz question that started the Battle of Ballybock. So, uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Listen, Martin, I know all, I know all about Jack Byrne nipping at you over questions, over quiz questions. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. He's calmed down now, but I think only because of Harry. I think Harry's like my shield from Jack's, like... Mania. He just uh, he calms them, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, we were mid-table, didn't do very well, Gar. At least I think we were. I forgot my binoculars. I think overall, I I didn't look at them in advance. Uh, I would have. I would have mm. been terrible. They were really some of them really tough ones, um. But brilliant overall, and like we said, thanks to to all the volunteers and everybody who helped mm. out. And we're hoping to have a a couple more was, like that for members to kind of make it more inclusive. And um, bring them all on board and swell the members' numbers eventually. So it was a brilliant. The quiz always is a brilliant night, and it was once again. I thought it was really, really enjoyable. Um, what were you wearing? But good way, Gar. Was that like a cashmere sweater or something? <laughs> no, it's just a fleece. It's a fleece. <laughs> me and cashmere. <laughs> me and Arlo agreed. He looked like a professor at a community college. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, Mark, like I said, my friend, he was literally just there for the Simpsons question. We all agree. Like that's why you're here. And he went for a smoke. There was a Simpsons question. You know, he went for a smoke. And he at the moment of the Simpsons question, he got back in time to we could we we brainstormed and we got there in the end. Like I know a lot of work went into the quiz. Uh, you and the organisers and the volunteers, Gare. So it was a stressful week, I'm sure. Uh, here you have an appointment now with your nephrologist. They've been nephrologist, yeah. I um, I think I think the Enola Rays got this by process of an <laughs> of elimination. So fair play to them, yeah. They actually deducted or deduced that they could what? gradually get through it. I had no idea. What did we say again? We think we said either nose or ears or some ridiculous answer. <laughs> so that was the quiz, Gar. Great night. Brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, so Prof, um, that was that. And then we're up next. We have Sam Bone. 
So I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Maystone United player and former Shamrock Rovers player Sam Bone, who's at the centre of a big FA Cup shock uh, a week ago. So welcome back, Sam. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so for those, so unless you've been living under a rock, uh, Maystone United in the National League South, which is in the sixth tier, so two leagues below the Football League, pulled off one of the great FA Cup upsets but knocking out Ipswich Town. Former FA Cup and UEFA Cup winners, uh, Championship high flyers on their own patch, uh, Portman Road. So, I suppose the first question is going in: Did the players believe they could get some sort of result against the club ninety-eight pla- places above you in the football <laughs> pyramid? What was the mindset beforehand? Um, look, I, I think I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I sort of. Look, we, we we go into every game, obviously, we want to win. Um but then you sort of you weigh it up and you're looking at you're looking at Ipswich and you're going, right, well they're second in the championship. We're playing at Portman Road in front of twenty plus thousand. You know, it's gonna take some doing to beat them. Um it's funny because I was speaking to my to my pal when we were celebrating that night after the game. I said, Barra thought we've got we've got a good chance considering we're at home. Stevenage, you know, we've got half a chance. It's going to be an extremely tough game. Ipswich, I was sort of saying to myself, you know, let me not, let's enjoy the moment. Let's not, let's not let the moment pass me by. Go and embrace it. Enjoy the day and whatever happens, happens. And yeah, we've only, we've only bloody gone and done it. So um, as you can imagine, like we're just, uh, we're on cloud nine at the minute. Um, I'm on top of the world and, you know, I'm just so happy, so happy for everyone involved with the club, you know, chairmans, people who work behind the scenes, uh, especially for the players to experience that moment was just phenomenal. And and it was, uh, I suppose, an extra bit special for me because my, my family are from Maidstone and stuff, you know. So to see the club go as viral as it has, it's just, uh, it's just incredible. And I, and I suppose now I just have to really try and, embrace this moment enjoy it it's nice that the next round now is, is not for another three or four weeks so i've got a bit of a t- i've got a bit of time to enjoy it so uh yeah just just so pleased yeah 1978 the last time a team from outside the top five tiers reached a fifth round of the <laughs> cup so counter-attack goals by reynolds and corn uh your only two attempts on target tips which is 38 yeah. and inspired yeah. display by your brazilian goalkeeper Lucas, you'd have to say as well. Yeah, Lucas, man. Lucas was incredible. But no, look, it was uh it was one of those games, I'm sure every every footballer's been in in a game like I had to play the weekend where you're not getting a touch of the ball. It gets to a point where you're actually not even enjoying it anymore. Um but look, like I said, uh we had luck on the day. We we managed to catch them twice on the counter. Um I actually said it in an interview yesterday. Um, you know, I've never seen Lamar Reynolds do that. Normally you hear people go, Oh, yeah, like I've seen him do it in training many a times, but in the nicest way possible, that's not the case. So uh yeah. he came up with a bit of magic for us. Um it was a fantastic ball from Liam Sol to put him through. Um and then Sam Corn, you know, he's been he's been brilliant for us all season. He, you know, he takes a, a upon himself to to make himself the hero. He busts the gut forward on the on the counter and uh, he puts it away lovely in the bottom corner. So just uh, just incredible. But I think they had about thirty eight shots or something. So 
we definitely rode our luck, but uh, we we also created that luck because we were resilient. We stayed in the game and and you know we we worked the game plan to a T. So yeah, really really pleased. Yeah, the frantic finish, eight minutes of stoppage time. Uh, you mm. had been subbed off shortly after the hour mark, but what was going to your head when the full-time whistle went? Can't, I can't remember, Carl. I genuinely can't remember. I just, uh, yeah, the last sort of three, you know, three minutes left, I, I looked up at the board and I'm saying to myself, you know, come on, boys, we, we can do this here and, it just went so slow. Time just went so slow, and then when that final whistle went, I just remember, I just remember running onto the pitch and and hugging whoever was closest to me, and um, having that that moment with the fans. You know, I I managed to find my my uh, my family who were in the crowd. I could see them, and uh, I don't know if you've seen Mark. My, my granddad came over to surprise me, um, which was so special. But for him to actually witness us witness us winning that game was was incredible we we have a lovely video of him celebrating and it's funny because my mum said that she's never seen my granddad so happy when that first goal went in so to have that moment with them and you, you can imagine the the celebrations in the change room then and when we got back to Maystone I went to go and see them briefly before we went out on our celebrations and it was just such a special moment and you know one that uh that I'll cherish forever you know it's something that I look back at the end of my career and you know look back at it. and this binds us forever the gaffer actually says it, it this binds us forever now you know this this group it's uh what we've done is is so special and um look it's just uh you know it's just incredible we have a we have a chance to try and do it all again in three weeks time but i suppose right now it's just it's just about you know embracing this moment yeah, I saw the video of the guy from making the speech to the fans outside before the game. And then after the win, the joyous scenes with 4,600 traveling fans does seem yeah. to be a really good community club. Yeah, it is. And and look, that's that's full credit to the manager as well. Um, he's such a, a lovable character. I think I think the club have gained something like, I think it's like 11 or 12,000 followers on, on their socials and on Twitter and Instagram and I think the gaffer has a lot to, he plays a big part in that because, like I said, he's such a lovable character. You know, he's he's one of those managers that you'd run through a brick wall for him. And he's so powerful and inspiring that, that people sort of jump on his energy, you know. So uh, when he gave that speech there at the start of the game, you're sort of saying to yourself, right, come on, you're, you're psyching yourself up. Come on, this is this is special now. We We can do something special here. And Without a doubt, I think he gave us that that extra bit of drive, that extra bit of energy to to get it over the line, and it's it's a special moment for him as well. I think he had his family there, and as 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 you know, we did as well. Um, but you know, the the gaffers come from, you know, he, he tells us stories how he used to bloody eat snakes in Cameroon, and he used to he used to kick the the football in the streets of Cameroon. So for him to to have that rise and to be where he is now is is so special, you know. Yeah, so the town has, has been buzzing since you're on BBC yeah. being interviewed. Uh, like, like you say, the club has gone viral. So a lot of media attention in the last couple of weeks before and, and since the results. Uh, are your friends mm-hmm. and family loving all this attention? Has anything funny sort of happened around this? 
Yeah, no, me, uh, me auntie now. She's she's tried to get onto. In fact, actually, my granddad was on TV last week when the draw was made. Um, I think BBC were there, and he managed to. He was walking past, and they they sort of asked him, "Look, can you just give us your thoughts on the draw?" So, you know, that was special because my nan got to see it. She didn't come over, so she got to see it on the news in Cyprus. Um, but yeah, now my auntie. I think my auntie's tried to to get on TV now a couple of times. She. She purposely walks walks past the cameras slowly to, <laughs> in the hope that they'll catch her. Uh, but she actually managed to get an appearance. But uh, yeah, like you said, like all this media attention is is fantastic for the club. You know, everyone knows who Maidstone United is now, and, and and for me, that's that's something special because this is a club that I've watched when I was younger, and and to see them now in the in the bright lights is is so special. And and to know that I'm a part of that and. I'm a part of the reason why the club sort of where it is now is is just incredible and something that uh, that really makes me smile, you know. Into the last 16 to face either Coventry or Sheffield Wednesday that replays on Tuesday, but so mm. not not the Premier League away tell you's all wanted. Uh, that's that's what the gaffer was saying beforehand. Yeah, look, obviously, you know the when we had the third round draw and we got Stevenage, I was like ah. Like in the in the nicest way possible to Stevenage, you know, we had a chance to get a Premier League team. But then when we beat Stevenage, you're saying, well, we might get one now because the odds are in our favour. No, there's, do you know what I mean? A lot of teams have been knocked out. Surely it's our time. And and then we draw rip switch. So that was a bit of a downer. But this time I really thought we'd get a Premier League side because we've done League Two, League One Championship. But look, it wasn't to be. Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it, to be honest, for me, I've got a sort of a personal connection with Coventry because I know um, I know the striker really well. I grew up with the striker when I was younger. He played for my dad's academy, so that was that would be a special moment to to share the pitch with him. But look, it, look, it is what it is. Um, yeah, although we didn't get a Premier League side, it's still a good draw. It's an opportunity to go and play play in front of twenty thousand again and. Um, you know, when that time comes, I'm sure I'm sure the gaffer will, will have a game plan for us and we'll look to execute that in the, the best way possible and, and who knows what can happen. And growing up, you probably watched the FA Cup on TV and you dreamed of of, of playing in it, but it's, it had seemed to have lost a bit of its magic the last 20 years or so, but once in a while, something special like this does does come along. That's right. Yeah. Well, look, it's 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 such a big competition, you know. I think, uh, you know, it's it's worldwide. Everyone sort of tunes into English football. So, yeah, you you hear these stories every once in a while, and it sort of makes people excited. But like I said to you, for for me personally to be doing it, you know, I got bloody texts from someone from Canada the other day who who's now supporting Maidstone and. You know, when I came in from the change room after the game, sort of everyone had reached out. You know, Stephen O'Donnell had reached out, Pat Craig, uh, Pat Craig had reached out, um, Lee Grace, Roberto Lopez, uh, they all reached out to me. So, um, yeah, it's just incredible. Like I said, to, for me to actually be a part of this FA Cup run is is so special. And yeah, like everyone that's reached out is is really appreciated. Although I still haven't got back to to everyone yet. Um, I don't want that to sound arrogant. It's just everyone's been so kind and they're texting me. It's been a bit of a nightmare to try and get onto my phone and text them back. But uh, yeah, man, it's just incredible. And, and like I said, hopefully we can go that one step further and 
and recreate history, you know. You mentioned your dad a moment ago. He uh, he played in the, in the Malaysian League. You were actually born in Malaysia, moved to England when you were five, but you don't remember much about Malaysia, do you? No, look, I'd, I'd love to sort of make up a story there for your question, but uh, no, I think I left Malaysia when I was when I was about five years old. So, you know, there's brief sort of moments that I remember. I remember you played for a team called Home United. I can't remember whether that was in Singapore or Malaysia, but I remember being on the pitch. Uh, I remember living in the apartment, but that's literally it. And, um, you know, this is... When you grow up, you dream of playing in, in moments like this. And he was there and he got to, you know, he's been such a big part of my career not you maybe not so much over the last you know four or five years because I, I decided to sort of take that step away from my dad perhaps it was a little bit we were too emotional with it um but for, for him to to witness that moment the other day it was so special and I think he was in tears as was my mom and my brother and my granddad and my auntie so yeah, it's such a special moment for all of us as a family. And uh, like I said, one that I'll look back on. And yeah, it just, you know, it just makes me smile to, to, to think of what we've done. I remember when you were at Robbers and we were interviewing at Rollstone when you were just a fresh-faced 18, 19-year-old. Right. I That's asked right. you if Malaysia ever came calling, uh, would you play for them? And you said, no, you're English. But you're 25 now. Uh, you said Pico sent you a text here, do you still look the likes of Pico playing in the yeah. AFCON. He's in a quarterfinal now at Cape Verde. You never know what could happen. You never know who could send you a message on LinkedIn from Malaysia. Yeah, so. look, I, it's, do you know what I mean? I suppose, yeah, I suppose you're right. Um, it's not really something that I've ever looked into. Um, I have a lot of, um, you can call them Malaysian fans, I suppose, but they... Mm. They will send me messages on Instagram and they comment on my posts. Um, but like I said, it's 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 never th it's never something that I've looked into, you know. So um, yeah, look, who who knows if if we can? I don't I don't know. Look, I'm, I don't know. I'm not gonna sit here and say yeah, I'm gonna go and play for them. That's not it's the last thing I'm thinking about to be honest. But um, I suppose if if there was a contact, then we'd we'd, we'd have to sit down and perhaps look at it and. We'd, uh, we'd go from there, you know. And, yeah, you said you said Maidstone is your hometown in England. So how did you end up moving to uh, Charlton? You were there until 2016. Um, mm -hmm. When did you join Charlton? How long were you there? Um, When did I join? I think I joined Charlton at the end of under-15s. Um, so I was playing locally then. Uh, I played for a team called Ramsgate. Um you know, for a number of years. And then um, I got to an age then where, you know, I um, I thought it was, was time. Uh, my dad always, mm -hmm. my dad always tried to put me off going to an academy because, you know, every kid's dream is, is to become a footballer. And I suppose he didn't want me to, if I wasn't good enough to go through that heartbreak of being released because that can be quite tough at a young age. So, you know, I played locally until until I was I was good enough, you can say. And then uh, I was fortunate enough that that Charlton come to one of the, one of the games that I scored twice in. So uh, I went on trial there. My my first game was against uh, Tottenham. Tottenham under 15. I was, I was actually playing against Marcus Edwards, um, who plays for Sporting now. Uh, but he gave me the run around in that game. I remember it so clearly. 
Um, but I, I impressed and, and they actually signed me off that performance. I was there then. I did, obviously, under 16s. I was offered a scholar and then I did my two-year scholar there. Um, sort of both seasons were, were completely different. Um, my first year at Charlton, I was I did extremely well. Uh, I played for the under-23s in the in the Kent Cup final against the Gillingham team that had a had about seven first team players playing in it. Um so that that couldn't have gone any better. But then of course you're you're young and you're naive. And when I went into my second year as a scholar, then I perhaps thought I was better than what I was. Um I started pre-season with the under 18s and I was sort of in the mindset like, why am I here for? I'm better than this. And yeah, I, I you can say I, I, I turned quite arrogant and that was my downfall, to be honest. Um, you know, then I was getting little niggles because I wasn't I wasn't training right. I wasn't living my life right off the pitch. And uh, yeah, come the end of the season, then when I was released, that was a, a reality check. And then the cancer, sto- the cancer story sort of happened. And, and then uh, after that, I was able to get back training. And that's when, when Shamrock Rovers happened. Yeah, you were highly thought of a child. I remember reading that you, someone compared you to Michael Carrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any particular coach who was influential to you that you would credit as sort of developing your game? Um, at Charlton, you mean? Yeah, Charlton. Yeah. Yeah, Charlton. Yeah, look, I, I worked under some really good managers. Um, you know, Steve Avery, who's the uh, head of academy there, uh, was fantastic. Um. A guy called Simon. In fact, no, no, you show you wouldn't know. Simon Clark. Um, he had a great. Uh, he had a great career when he was a professional. Um, but he had just come out of his career, so he was sort of fresh in the mind of having that tougher mindset. So I learned a lot of. I learned a lot of of him. Um, so them two in particular really helped me. But the biggest lesson I learned was when I, I sort of sat down with myself when I was released and I sort of went over the two years that I was there at Charlton. And that's when I really could sort of understand why I was released. At the time, I was thinking, what am I released for? I'm one of the best players in the under-18s, but the reality was that my my attitude wasn't right. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot from that period about myself and, you know, uh like I said, I turned quite arrogant and, and that's not the way to be in football. You know, it's a team sport. I, I used to take it upon myself to try and be the hero every time. And uh, yeah, I just I just wasn't a nice person to be around in my second year. So uh, a lot of lessons were learned. I don't regret anything because I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. I don't have any regrets. So uh, it shaped me up to be the person that I am now. And yeah, hopefully that's... Uh, and a right footballer, you know. And to get the diagnosis for uh, testicular cancer at only eighteen, and to overcome that, how much did that change your your outlook at such a, a young age? Yeah, like I, I like I was. Do you know what I mean I was young? Um, I was eighteen. Uh, hearing the news that you've got cancer at such a young age is. Um, it's crazy, you know. You know, the first thing you think of when you hear that is is death. Um, I remember going into the meeting, and uh, I strolled in actually with a lucasade and a yoga, and I just anticipated to be there for 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 two minutes, you know. And I walk in there, and he says, "Have you got a parent with you?" And that's when I sort of said to myself, well, "This doesn't sound too good." 
Um, but yeah, my, my dad then came in, he was sat in the car, he came in and they sort of just explained, look, there's there's a tumour, we found it on your right testicle, you're going to have to have an operation to remove it. And I just remember going, oh my God, like, what is going on here? Uh, but look, thankfully, uh, we had the operation, we had to wait a few weeks then to, to decide whether any treatment was needed. In that period, there's obviously a lot of doubt, a lot of worry, but uh, I say it all the time. I was surra- I was surrounded by friends and family who were so supportive and and made it made it a lot easier than than what it was. And one thing that I always remember from that was it must have been such a scary time for my family. Never once did I see them cry. Never once did I see them down. Uh, they were so positive in 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 everything, and I think that rubbed off on me. Then I remember. Um, I remember then we we got the news back that it was cancerous, um, and that I would have to have some sort of uh, treatment, whether that was chemo or radiotherapy. And I remember just being sat there and going, right, well, let's do it. Then this, you know, at such a young, at eighteen years of age, to to say that that, you know, looking back at it, that must have been so brave. But that that was literally just my mindset because I, my parents and all that, their their mindset had rubbed off on me, so. I was just like, let's do it. Um, you had to wait a week then to to go and have my meeting in the Royal Marsden, which is the cancer hospital in London. And praise God, man, no no treatment was needed. I, I caught it so early, and all it is now is is just regular checkups. Um, so that's everything's good with that. And yeah, it's uh, it's definitely had a. a it's definitely helped me now to to become a better person, be more grateful for everything. Um, a lot of a lot of times in football, you know, it can feel uh, quite a lonely place. You know, if you've had a bad game or you know you're getting abused, but I always sort of try and take myself back to that moment and be grateful because what I saw in the Royal Marsden was was perhaps patience. You know. Having what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, my mind's gone blank here. But they could have, they could have had a, only a couple of months to live, you know. Um, so I always sort of take myself back to that and say, there's people worse out there than what, what I'm feeling right now. And yeah, without a, without a doubt, this definitely helped me to become a better person now. Yeah, it was fantastic. You were able to get back training and playing. And then, how did the Rovers move happen? And what were the first impressions of the club, Tala and, and Dublin? I, I always say um, I just fell in love with the place. I did. I fell in love with the place. Um, Graham Barra, who was my agent at the time, um, is obviously good friends with Stephen Bradley. So he he got me in there to to train three weeks and um, just do pre-season with a oh. view to, to obviously coming back um, and being match fit, you know. Um, but I remember getting there, um, you know, Brandon Miele, uh yeah. became close pals of Brandon. And, you know, I just remember in the last week of my my training period, I remember thinking, I don't want to leave here. I want to stay here. Uh, just fell in love with the country, with, with everything. And luckily then it all worked out. Stephen Bradley wanted to sign me. And, uh, yeah, I just remember that being such a special moment because I'd obviously come from the cancer was in the mindset I might not be able to play football again and then I go and sign for one of the biggest, biggest clubs in Ireland. So that was a special moment. And uh, yeah, I think then I did two and a half years there, but 
they they were special and I learned a lot at my time at Rovers. You scored goals in Holmans over Pats and Bray. Uh, what what do you consider your best game in a Rovers shirt? Oh, good question. Um, not that I had many good games, but uh, <laughs> I reckon the the one that sort of stands out to me was AIK um, when we played them in the Europa League <clears throat> at home and away. Um, Mm. The year before that, I, I had a taste of European football when we travelled to Iceland and Czech Republic. Um, so to experience that, I remember then when I signed my new contract for my second season, that was the one thing I was really looking forward to, you know, was the European stint. Um, and, you know, thankfully I managed to start both games and I, I played well in both of them, actually. we, I think we lost 1-0 at home. And then we beat them away 1-0, but obviously it went to extra time. By that stage then, sorry, I'm getting texts here. By that stage then, I'd, I'd cramped up and everything, so I didn't get to play the extra time. But that was special because that was in, I think it was in, the, I think it was Sweden Stadium, their national team stadium in front. I think it was about 9,000. And at that time, that was the biggest crowd I played in. So that's definitely a, a memory that I look back on with a with a huge smile, you know. Oh, do you remember Aaron Green's miss at the end of normal? I do. I do. And I also remember Joel Kustrain's miss yeah, in the I first half <laughs> when there was a, a dodgy pass back. And uh, yeah. yeah, he had a chance to offer. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember after, we played Warford actually a few days after that. And I remember starting on the bench and someone got injured and I had to come on. And I'm not messing. Still to this day, I think it was the worst doms I've ever had because I was just running around like a headless chicken in that game. I remember coming on, I was so tired and we managed to grind out a 1-0 win against Watford. And I think then that took us into third position or, or there or thereabouts mm. for the automatic European stint then. I think that was the Gary Shaw diving header. in. Uh, That's the one. Point. It was from yeah. it was from my cross. Was it from my cross? Yeah, I think it was my cross. Yeah, I think it was my cross that... Uh, I'll take your word for that. I can't so, remember who crossed I'm it. I'm nearly sure it is. I'm going to make myself look really stupid now if it wasn't my cross, but I'm nearly sure it was. Yeah, yeah. and a certain Gavin Bazoon as well played in the two AIK games, his last games yeah. for Robbers. That's right, yeah, before he got his move to City. But Gav, look, you always knew that Gav was going to go on to do great things, you know? Um, Gav just had such a strong mindset at such a young age. Like I remember Gav making his under 18... Was that under under nineteen debut for us away to Limerick, and I was playing in that game because I wasn't getting I wasn't getting minutes in the first team, so I travelled to to Limerick to play the under nineteens, and he made his debut in that game, which is which is pretty cool to to tell now. But uh, yeah, I just remember during that stint when Gav played for us, he he just had such a strong mindset, like his work ethic was was incredible and. Yeah, you see him now, man. Like he's he's flying with Southampton. He's he's plays for the national team, and I know his dad. You know, I know his dad really well, and he's Gav's just such a great guy. And it's uh, it's really nice to see someone that you've seen sort of grow up do so well now. You know. Did you enjoy playing games in front of the Rowers fans in Tala, home and away? And do you remember the song they had for you? Loved it, wasn't it? Um, them bones, them bones need calcium or something. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, yeah. That was the one, yeah. No, that yeah. was um, 
that was really special, man. I had a special connection with the Rovers fans because, like I said, I sort of, it was my first club um, since the cancer treatment and they took me in with open arms. Um, I just remember that that period was, was so special in my life, playing in Tala and some of the memories that I had. We went through some tough times as well. We went through some uh, some really tough times, but um, that was uh, that was really special. Now playing in front of them, and even when I I played against them, then when I when I moved on to Waterford and Pats and stuff and Dundalk, I remember I always got a good reception. And still to this, in fact, still to this to this day, after the game, actually, I actually saw on Twitter quite a few Rovers fans actually congratulating me. So uh, yeah, really classy club and. Um, yeah, look, the, the the success that they've had over the years was was something that you could feel when I first walked through the door. You could feel that Stephen Bradley was building something. He perhaps just needed a bit of time. And, you know, what he's doing now is is incredible. And hopefully you guys can go on to, to possibly get, you know, whatever the, the Champions League group stages or the Conference League group stages. Um, because the squad that you've built now, I think you've just signed Aaron McInef again. Um, Dara Burns, who I played with at Pats, who's a who's a great signing. So, yeah, man, I, I wish you guys well, and I'll be I'll be watching the games every Friday evening. I remember when I first heard that song. It was actually in Iceland, and Rowers fan Paul O'Connell was behind me, and he just mm. sang it, and I turned around and laughed, <laughs> and he just shrugged and said, "What else have we got?" <laughs> I can't remember who told me. I actually didn't even clock onto it. It was I think it was what I think it could have been Shawzy or David Webster. No, it was Simon Madden. <laughs> It was Simon Madden. He told me, have you heard this song? Uh, I remember, yeah. He told me, have you heard the song that the Rovers fans have got for you? And then I sort of, when we played them, when we played in the games, then I tried to listen out for it. And yeah, I heard it. And that was actually pretty cool because that's the first time someone's ever had a chant for me. So, you know, 18-year-old me, I was absolutely buzzing to hear that. So, uh, yeah, a special time there. Well, maybe Maidstone fans will, will uh, carry on the tradition for them. That's right. Just like there was a lot of competition, always has been a lot of competition in Bradshaw's midfield, uh, especially yeah. when you were there. I know you could play centre-back as well, but it was a challenge yeah. to try and get in there, especially with the likes of Jack Byrne and Aaron McAniff when they arrived yeah. at the start of 2019. Yeah, yeah, look, obviously, um, my first year, my first year I didn't really play. Um, my second year I, I played a lot more, but I was obviously in competition with um, Greg Bolger, who was in like his peak years, he was just he was he was a brilliant servant to the club uh, and someone that I really learned a lot of as well. I remember I remember actually when Greg Bolger signed, you know, I always tell the story. I was like, God, well that's me out of the picture then. I can't believe we've just signed Greg Bolger, but it was one of them ones. I always say it, everything happens for a reason. Um, I actually learned so much of Greg in my time there, and I, I feel like he made me a better player. Um, and then like I was I was I found like a um a, a rich vein of form, I was doing well, and then um yeah, just bits and pieces sort of happened and I, I was out of the team and I struggled to get back in and then my third season that's when I think Jack Byrne had signed and Aaron McInef had signed and um yeah, look, the the, the team was flying. I think we were first for like ages we were like clearer first as well while I was there um so it was tough to get in and then I had a hamstring injury which kept me out for ages and 
Yeah, and look, football's football. I remember then in the the summer, um, Stephen Bradley said to me, "Look, there's an opportunity for you for you to go to Waterford. Um, you're not really getting much game time here. Do you want to possibly look at it? Whether it's a loan move now, or you can go and sign there for eighteen months." And as much as I love the club, I, I wanted to play as well. It was a uh, it was something that I obviously obviously jumped at because I felt like. I needed those minutes to sort of grow as a player, you know. And I suppose just your thoughts on Browser as a manager and the staff as coaches, your relationship yeah. with them, and could you see the potential in them to do what they've done since, yeah. since you left the club? 100%. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm on the Shamrock Rovers podcast. Like I said to you, you could feel the energy in, the, in and around the club when I first came in. They they had a plan. Um it wasn't going to happen overnight. Um, I think I signed when it was uh, Stephen Bradley's first season as a manager, like his first full season. So he had a plan, and uh, like I said, there were some some tough moments in that in that period. But you know, the the club stuck with him, and uh, he made some incredible signings that that's helped him. And yeah, look, I couldn't speak any more highly of Stephen Bradley. You know, I, I'll always be forever grateful to him because like I said he gave me that opportunity to to come back into football when perhaps no one else did you know it was it would have been tough to to find a club but he gave me that opportunity and like I said I'm a, I'm a person that I like to see other people do well um, and uh, yeah well look he's he's absolutely flying at the minute and it, um, it's great to see you know even Glenn and Stephen McPhail these guys here were, were so good to me when I was at the club. So um, it's great now to, to see him doing so well. And yeah, hopefully you guys can go on to have another another good season, you know. And how do you reflect on your, your spells at Waterford, uh, Pats and Dundalk? You got more game time with Dundalk and mm -hmm. Pats, 32 league appearances each mm -hmm. season. So you kind of got what you're looking for, especially at those clubs. Yeah. Yeah, no, look... Um, Waterford was great. Look, I fell in, I fell in love with with <laughs> Waterford. Um, I originally signed there on loan, um, but again, I, I did quite well in that sort of loan period. So at the end of the season, then uh, Alan Reynolds were to sign me again, uh, which was which was something that I was really happy to do. So um, you know, did the season there. I think we went through COVID, but then after COVID, we came back and. We had such a special group. Um, I think it was on the last day out then. We we just missed out on Europe. We got beat to Finn Harps up in Bally Buffet. And um, I was so happy there. I was so comfortable. And um, sadly then, um, sort of, Watford at the time had a reputation for, for letting the whole team go and just build it from scratch every season. And I was in one of those teams. So... I just remember when I had to leave Waterford, I remember being so upset. Like, I was so upset. Like, I didn't want to leave. And I remember Stephen O'Donnell being on to me and saying he wants to sign me for pads. And it was one of them ones that I remember I was going to sign and I was thinking, I don't even want to sign. Like, I just want to stay at Waterford. But nothing's happening at Waterford. Like, you know, there's, you know I mean, there's not even a manager at the moment. <laughs> But uh, it's funny how football works because I signed for Pats 
like I said, I was I was actually upset. But then I went on to have one of the best years of my career at Pats. So it's funny how how football works like that. Um, you know, we finished second that year. Um, well, I also won the FAI Cup there. So that was really special. Um, I actually, uh, I met my, well, my ex-missus now, but I met her at the start of my stint at Pats. And I just remember that period being so special because I was surrounded by good people. I was enjoying my football. We were doing well in the league. So that was special. And then I obviously, um, what people don't know, I actually got, re- I actually got released from, from Pats. Um, Stevie had left, but the Tim Clancy uh, didn't hear anything from him. So I, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't reject the contract or anything. And he, he didn't want to, so I didn't hear anything from him. And then Stevie obviously gave me the opportunity to, to follow him up to Dundalk. And again, I've only got special memories at that club as well, because um, again, I was, I was so happy there. John Martin, Robbie Benson, these are all still close pals to me. I still speak to them regularly. So yeah, I had a really good time at Dundalk and then uh, I made my way to, to Maystone. Yeah, you mostly played in midfield for Rovers. Uh, you're a defender for Maystone now. You sometimes played fullback for Dundalk. Do you have a preferred position? Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, I actually don't play defender for Maystone. Uh, I play in midfield. Um, last season, I played centre-back when I first came to the club, but the gaffer, George Edicobi, always looked at me as a, as a midfielder, um, which is great because that's actually a position that I, I do feel most comfortable in. But I sort of got into the mindset I was playing. Well, I played centre-back for Waterford. I played centre-back for Pats. I, you know, I played centre-back for Dundalk, sometimes right-back. Um, but I grew up playing midfield. And it's funny because we had quite a few injuries when I was at Dundalk. And I remember in, in training every... No, in fact, I best not say this now, but sometimes we'd, we'd have... Um, like training matches, you know, and would do waves of attack. And I'd, I'd be in midfield for the numbers. And I remember doing really well. And I remember going, hang on a minute, I, I actually think midfield is my position. So when I was released then with Dundalk at the end of the season, when I when I had to go on trial at Maystone, um, I went in and I said, look, I'm, I'm a midfielder. And when George had a COVID and went to sign me, he'd obviously looked at my clips and he'd seen that I played centre-back. At the time, Maystone weren't doing great in the league. They shipped in a load of goals. So he said to me in the meeting, he said, if I had to throw you in at centre-back, how would you feel? I said, well, yeah, look, I'd, I'd do a job for the team. or I'll, I'll play centre-back. I've played there for the last three, four years. I feel comfortable there. And he said, right, perfect. But he always knew that I was a midfielder. Um, so this season, he, he's obviously had a chance to build his own squad. And in his plans, I'm a midfielder for him. So the last... Yeah, the last sort of two, three months, bar the odd appearance at centre-back for suspensions and stuff, because we play a three. Um, most most of the games have been in midfield. Um, just jumping back to Pats for a second, winning the Cup at Lansdowne Road uh, in front of a yeah. record crowd. The crowd was, it was oh. the tennis record was broken again two years yeah, later. I but, see that, yeah, I saw that. Uh, that's got to be the career highlight that day. Um. Yes, but not not anymore. Obviously, <laughs> after last weekend, yeah, my drums are yeah, my drums are yeah. No, look, um, I always say. In fact, it's funny because the 
the picture of us when we're lining up for the national anthem is actually my background picture on my phone. Um, Carl, look, I can't speak any more highly of that day. Like that was, that was so special to to play in front of thirty eight thousand to win the cup to have the celebrations after with my family with my friends was just so special. It was my first uh, silverware in professional football as well. And I still remember how the cup feels when you hold it up like that. I still remember how it feels <laughs> because it's just so, it's just so special. Um, yeah, it was just incredible. And that's given me a taste now for even more moments like that. And, and luckily, you know, I've had moments like that now, obviously with last weekend and, and the Stevenage game, but Going back to that question, that was that was incredible, and there was actually some jealousy there when when I was watching the uh, the cup final there a few months mm. back when I saw Pats played Bowers, and I remember thinking about how special that occasion was, mm. and I was going bloody like I wish I was there, you know, I wish I was playing in that game, but uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible competition that is, and like I said, the the real draw of it is is at the end when you get to play in front of forty thousand fans and you know, the the moments that you get to, to have and then spend it with your family after. It's just incredible. So, yeah, look, look at the smile that it's given me just thinking about that. Um, yeah, it, it was such a special moment, you know. And how was the transition to come home to Maidstone after being away for six years? <laughs> difficult, difficult. I actually said it to uh, Owen Kowser last week when I did an interview um, with The Sun. Um Surprisingly, look, like I said to you at the start, I'm, I've grown up in and around Maidstone. This is, you know, my family are, are from here. This is my family home, you know. But I just found it so difficult. Um, coming back from from Ireland, like I did my whole adulthood in Ireland, you know. Um, so to, to sort of come back here and then once I signed for Maidstone, the the reality of not playing in the league anymore, it was difficult. Now, it didn't help as well. I went through um, a breakup with the ex-missies, which was which was another problem. And we were getting beat in the league. Sorry, we weren't getting beat. We were getting battered in the league. Like We, we weren't winning any games and, and that. So it was really difficult. Um, difficult to the point that when our season finished in the summer, I was contemplating whether to come back to Ireland because I was just like, that's where I was the most happiest, you know? Um, but I remember I went on holiday. <laughs> I went to Marbella. It's not really a place to have a, a serious conversation, Marbella. It's, uh, you know, with all the beach clubs and all. But I remember sitting down with my friends and saying, look, boys, I might I might genuinely go back to Ireland here. And they were like, look, you're from Maystone. You love the club. You've always said that you'd love to play for the club. See how it goes. And, and go from there and it's uh it's like I said again it's funny how football works because right now I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my career Um, really enjoying my football with them when in the league we've got this incredible FA Cup run Um, so yeah look I've, I've sort of gone away from your question a little bit there but I did I, I did find that transition difficult and it took me a little while to adapt to, to not being in Ireland anymore but I'm past that now I'm a lot happier now and uh, yeah, I'm in a good place. So that's, that's the main thing. 
Yeah, so your second season there haven't been relegated. I suppose the, the aim is to win promotion again, probably through the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, unless Yeovil now have a massive slip up, which I, I can't imagine will happen. Um, I think there's something like 18 points clear. Um, I think the 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 obvious route would be through the playoffs. But look, the, you know yourself in in playoffs, anything can happen. Um, so we've just got to focus on on doing our best in the league. Um, we've obviously got a massive FA Cup game in a, in three weeks' time, but we don't want that to affect the league form because we don't want it to be a case that you know eventually we are going to get knocked out of the FA Cup, and we don't want it to be a case that we look back then at the league and we've we've dropped down the league because we we've obviously we've obviously dropped results because of this FA Cup run. So. It's important that we put ourselves in a good position. I think if you finish second in the league, you're guaranteed every game that you play off that you play in and in the playoffs is to be at home. So that's definitely if we can't obviously get the league, then we want to finish as as high as possible. So we've got those home ties because there's not actually a neutral ground for the final. So um yeah, look, we've just got to uh Really focusing now for for the for the running. I don't know how many games are left, but um, you know this is when you know the real top teams. They don't, you know, it can get quite tough in the middle of the season, especially here winter time. Um, but this is when the top teams sort of raise their standards and they they keep going, and and that's something that you know as a as a senior player, I've got to really try and drive it within the change room to do that, and we can't let standards drop, you know. Uh, and finally, um, four thousand two hundred capacity at the Gallagher Stadium in Kent. How would you mm-hmm. compare the league to the League of Ireland in terms of standard of players, facilities, and attendance? It's just um, it's just a completely different style of football. Um, it's funny you say that because I was it was like, yeah no it was with Owen again last week when he asked me the same question what's the the difference. Um, it's a lot more direct, especially in the National League. Um, I always say the easiest game that I had in the National League last year was against Notts County because they just kept the ball and we just defended our box, defended crosses, you know. But every other game, you know, Wrexham and Halifax and who else is there with Dorking and stuff like that, they're all they're all very direct, you know, and, and that can be difficult because you, the strikers here are strong, they're tall. Um, you know, there's also a lot of a lot of ex football league players, so they, they know their the note like small little tricks in the in the game and um yeah, I think the average age in, in the League of Ireland is a lot lower compared to National League. So it's different. It's it's completely different in that sense. Also the National League's huge now as well. Like you've got Oldham in there, uh, you've got Chesterfield in there. Obviously, last season you had Wrexham and Notts County. These are clubs that are getting, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand a week. Um, and I think Rovers is the the only team that sort of does that because of obviously how big the stadiums are. But I remember seeing it when I when I watched the League of Ireland. You got Daly Mount Park. That's absolutely popping off the fans are going crazy you've got um you've got Pats that the fans are incredible you know and Waterford have just been promoted and their fans are brilliant I can tell you that firsthand so yeah I think it's similar in terms of atmospheres and 
and uh, you know stadiums, but also I think then the the style of play is, is completely different. And and just in terms of like Rollstone facilities compared to the setup at Maidstone, what would you say? Well, I'm near, I can't. I don't know what Rollstone. I've seen that they've got a new gym. Um, oh, they've they've got a new gym, and all. I forgot. I haven't been to Rollstone in years. But um, when I was there, we obviously had the three G and the port cabins, the the obviously the changing rooms, and you had a place to go and have food. Um, but a lot of the teams in our league would be part time. I think we're one of maybe six or seven teams that are only that are full time. Um, a lot of teams here because of the winter season, they have uh, artificial pitches, so that allows them to to train on their pitches during the week, obviously free of charge. Um, so yeah, there's no real like training grounds or anything in in um, in this league. I think maybe Eastbourne are the only team. Or, I might be or Yeovil, sorry, might have a training ground, you know, but um and maybe Torquay, but yeah, a lot of teams would be part time and um and would train on their their own in their stadiums, you know. So it's different to perhaps League of Ireland, you know, Waterford they've got things the um I made myself look really stupid here because I can't remember where they train, but um they've got a nice facility down in Waterford. Um Pat, uh, sorry, Pats. Rovers obviously train um, at Roadstone. Uh, Dundalk have lovely facilities in terms of the training facilities. That is, you know, they've got the gym there. They've got meeting room there. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably Ireland has better facilities to, to Conference South, you know. I've never heard Dundalk described as lovely before, but... Uh, <laughs> presence... <laughs> Presence I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying the gym, the gym, the gym's lovely, the gym's <laughs> lovely, and the change rooms are lovely as well. Uh, behind the stadium, that is. Our presence cup score prediction between your two former clubs gives a score prediction for Friday. Ooh. Sorry, is that? That's the next week Friday, isn't it? Um. Oh man, listen, I'm on a, I'm on a Shamrock Rovers podcast. I can't say Pats are going to win, can I? Um. Now, look, like I said, like I said, the, the signings that Rovers have made are some uh, some very good additions. But then you also have Pats that have made some really good additions as well. Um, so I think that's going to be a tough game. But I think I think Rovers will will were edgy. Um, I can't really. I don't want to give you a score prediction. I don't want it to come back and bite me. So uh, I'm just going to stay sort of neutral and say that I think, well, I'm not staying neutral because I'm saying Rodin is going to win it, but I don't know I don't know by how many goals, you know. <laughs> Aaron McInnes going to score a goal in his return. That's what I'm going to say. That's that's a good prediction, like that. Right. Yeah. All right, Sam, you're an absolute gentleman. Uh, no congrats worries, on all the success. Good to see a former hoop doing well. So thanks so much for talking today. No, thank you so much for, for having me on, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, so Sam Bowen is possibly the nicest person ever. He's just the equivalent of a nice British lad. What a lovely gentleman. Do you know what it reminds me of? Do you ever watch Dawn of the Dead? No. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And uh, Simon Pegg's mom in it. Just really, really nice. And you, we were saying that he probably loves his mom and a scone. <laughs> is what you were saying. I'd say that's what he was. Really, really nice. Person. Yeah. 
I know, um, he is a gentleman. And he was in high demand as well. Yeah. Um, you can probably hear his phone hopping throughout the chat. Which he was actually very conscious of, bless him. Like he just he kept tapping and closing. It, it was, it was vibrating, yeah. As if to say, go away. Like, um, like BBC want him again, but he spoke to Roberts first. Fair yeah. play to him. He made time for Tifties before BBC. I'm nearly sure he scored a left foot mm. cracker before with us. He scored two goals. Yeah, one I, one I remember one. one of them being a long range shot in Tada. Possibly a left foot against Pats. It was Pats and Bray. It was his only two goals. Pats and Bray. I think it might have been the Bray game. But Stephen then, O'Donnell, a fan of him as well. Took him everywhere with him. Took him to pass. Yeah. I forgot he played for Dundalk. Let's be honest. I, I was gonna say actually. I was embarrassed to say it. I have no memory of him playing for Dundalk. No, neither do I. Um, I remember the twenty twenty one cup final. I said, rather in like in a derogatory way, I said I'm actually watching Sam Bowen and Rob Cornwall starting defence in a cup final. Just at the time, it seemed mental. But we did always like Sam though. In fairness, like we. We always knew he had something about him. Braz, yeah. Brazzer clearly liked him. We and we were always hoping for like mm. at sometimes he'd have brilliant passing range, be really good in the ball, and we'd be like, right, Sam, Sam is here, and then he just wouldn't get to the next level. Yeah, when the the injury hampered him in twenty nineteen, like he spoke about. Then he had Jack and Aaron coming in. That's that's fierce competition to be dealing with. I thought back to when I interviewed him at Rollstone. Remember, I, I used to interview. I used to go up there and. I chat to the the young lads, the likes of uh, Sean Boyd, Sam Bone, Mikey yeah. O'Connor, and it was difficult to get much out of them, wasn't it? They were, they were just eighteen or nineteen year olds. Yeah, I remember? And I remember how kind of awkward it was. Yeah. What what was there to talk about? And now he's twenty five, and look how much there was to talk about. Which will actually still surprise people that he's still that young. Yeah, yeah. Um, he tweeted about Ipswich. He said, "Hang on." What have we actually done, LOL? So that was your reaction to... Yeah. Sixth tier, To bro. the upset, yeah. Um, did you see the video of the fan falling into the Ipswich fans? Yeah, so... It, do you know what? I think nowadays you can't... I don't know, did it look forced? Like, he, he rolled very easily down and it just happened to be being recorded at the time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have, I'm sceptical of these things but nowadays. It, but they had scored goals, so... I know, I know. It's I know. not that weird that it was being recorded. True, true. Plus, I'm just sceptical know, of these things being staged all but, the time nowadays. But to roll down your back, though, you won't be pretty confident <laughs> yeah. to make it a, a stunt. True, true. I get your scepticism, though. I, I'd be the same. Um, and after that big upset, girl, on the Saturday, then they had to follow that up with a massive, massive Kent Senior Cup game with Punjab United. Punjab United on the Tuesday Kent night. Cup. The magic of the KSC. <laughs> there you go. Yes, so we have transfers, Prof, um, since we did our last roundup a month ago. So we announced a permanent signing of Trevor Clark on a multi-year long-term contract. And Aaron McAniff initially on loan from Perth Glory for 2024 and in a permanent deal. Aaron so, Mac is back. Excellent news. You were telling me kind of last week, like, it's been a long time since the fans have been this excited about signing. Um, I... I can't think of the last signing that probably Manus coming back is the last time people got this excited. Jack coming back from Manus Cyprus coming back was more of a relief because everybody you're, you're that comes back the is, goalkeeping crisis then like that was just thank God we should do a a, a starting level of players that have came back. You had Manus, Jack, Aaron. Maybe have we done that before? Players with two stints at the club. Making eleven. Have we done? Them? Have we done that? 
I don't know if we have done that. You could easily. I do remember it. Jack being unveiled when we represented the title against Draw the twenty twenty one. That, that was, is still one of my favorite moments. That was a big deal ever as as an event and a and a spectacle. Joey retired in the same night. Full full house. There was bubbles everywhere for some reason, but there was the the cameras were following him around and it was just like an event. It was a real, real football event. It was brilliant. And we were, it got kind of ridiculous, didn't it? In kind of the week leading up to it, people were tracking flights from Australia and all to see if it was him. Yeah. Um, by the time of the theatre show, the Civic Theatre in Tata, we were kind of on the cusp of confirming it, weren't we? But nobody knew for sure. And Bill told us that on uh, BBC4, on the Friday before the Civic uh, Home D playing a note of gay and then Dunster said to us that he met someone recently and they were discussing Aaron returning and he was more excited about having the song back than what he actually might do on the pitch <laughs> yeah I know that's that's Dunster's friend now that Dunster himself best song ever and so we had Eamon Eamon Mac Jack McAniff O'Neill Poom Tell Watts Nugent Ratsy before he left Burns Noonan Oh Bradley said We're going to play Seven in centre mid um, Yeah in the cloud we trust In the cloud we trust Also imagine we had Kept Smithers Right Imagine we kept Smithers And we had both Smithers And Burns In the same team We would have got Years of material Out of this we, I don't think we would have Talked about anything else And I thought some as well Do you remember McAniff's First goal The Chip the Penenka against, Penenka, yeah. against his old club Derry in the opening of the south stand into us in the south stand and now he's come back for the opening of the north stand Inter- there, interesting there is also a debate over the the location of those boots because I thought I had them Emma Wheatley says she has them remember we got a load of boots and we gave them away for charity um, are you talking about the years ago we gave away a load of boots we got oh, all the okay. boots we were giving them away we were doing raffles and stuff like that so now I have to find out who has them because I thought I was playing football with my Aaron McInef's Penenka boots but that must be soldish Ryan if when I look at the video my boots are a different colour <laughs> so I think I'm has them that's just going to make you question life I know yeah the meaning of life me and God and Penenka panels for the last five years Um. Yeah, so I was thinking as well that I was in the East End for the opening of the East End. Um, it was actually my first game. I had a man's debut, July 2009. I was in the South Stand for the Potenka I just discussed, 2019. And I'm going to be in the North Stand for the President's Cup. So I've been in the, in the, in the stand for each opening, except actually the first game in Tada. It wasn't at the first game in Tada. Um, so yeah, I'm going to make a three in a row here. Excellent stuff. Johnny Kinney will also remain at the club prof for the 2024 season so all three loans from last season are sticking around. Uh, one bit of news that we missed it was reported that Bowes bid 50000 for Sean Hoare and when this was discussed amongst Rowers fans in the group and all first of all we have a policy don't we of not selling to our rivals and second of all Sean Hoare I, I've said it before he was our best defender in 2022 um, still brilliant cover so no brainer absolutely mad to get, let him go Naj Ratsy has moved to Como in Serie B Fabregas and Henri are there so this is a fascinating one young Naj I was dying to see him in the first team but we wish him all the best in uh, in a move and the next steps of his career so 
Yeah, suppose. Superb little player, and especially after that little Cork cameo. And um, it's just disappointing not to see him again. But listen, it's it's all the, it's all for the best. And just comparing fees again, the reported figure is four hundred fifty thousand up front. If you compare that to Afolabi, two hundred fifty thousand. Afolabi, an established first team player, Naj, a prospect. Um, the difference in fees are interesting, aren't they? Obviously, a younger player potential and all that. Uh, he's very highly rated, but. I'd love to see the the ground level of a minimum fee raise across the league. Yeah. I love if it's just like a player of of the quality of these guys, including Afalabi. If we just had a minimum where they're just not going for less than four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand. It depends again. on the club's take on it as well, yeah. doesn't it? It depends on their old financial situation. It depends on the parents of the of the kid and the person. Mm. If it is a kid, if it's under if the if the child's under eighteen, ultimately it's the parents who choose, really, isn't it? Because mm. if the child's under eighteen, they're gonna pick what's best for them. Whereas the Afolabi situation, he probably had a, maybe one or two offers on the table, and he just thought I fancy playing European football, gonna go and different play factors, in Belgium. Yeah. yeah, there's loads of different factors, and that's why I find it fascinating. So, Prof, this is your favorite section, the Lenses Senior Cup. The first two games were at Roadstone Rovers. Fielded under 19s or under 20 sides. Under 20, yeah. Which is a great thing, by the way. An extra year playing football for the club. 2-0 win over Longford with goals from Matt Britton. Son of Matt Britton. Uh, former Rovers player of the year. And Keane Dillon. A 5-1 defeat to Minute University then followed. So goalkeeper Tom Lettis was sent off in the 14th minute of the game. And Ryan Ritchie with the consolation goal. So the third and final group game against Athlone. At Lissy Wallen on Wednesday. That's last night as you're listening to this prof. So mm-hmm. we need to we need a win to get out of the group. We need a win not to not only to get out of the group, Gar, but to bring the Lancers here come back to Tala. Yeah. None of this rose down nonsense. <laughs> Disrespecting the LSC. So the group stages. Are you fandom? <sighs> I think we're probably better off getting it out of the way pre season, aren't we? I was a fan of it when it was announced because I thought, okay. Now we can use an actual cup competition instead of friendlies. Or not instead, but with friendlies. But it was decided to separate them. First teamers have been playing the friendlies. Under 20s have been playing the Senior Cup. So that's what the club decided to do. Because um, I remember, like, if you go back to. If you look at, like, 2014, our first two competitive games were Leinster Senior Cup and Santanta Cup. And. I just like having those early season games because you're you're seeing the first team players, and you're treating the cups seriously. So and you're you're into the next round. So yep. that's that's what I would like to see. But yeah, that's what happened anyway. So hopefully get out of the group. Friendly results, prof. We have our annual game against Lucan was on the day of the live podcast at the Civic Theatre. So Rovers beat Lucan two 0 with a first half brace from Nadge. New signings: Lee Stacey, Josh Honahan, and Dara Bournes all featured. And Rovers beat Treaty 2-1. Last two of the Cove Ramblers beat Wexford 4-1 and Longford 2-1 at Rosestone with Gaffney and Britton scoring and all of your pre-season roundups, Prof. And we have an official date announced as well. We have renewed our contract with the Civic as well, Prof. So it's all good news and loads of renewals at the podcast for the time being. So we will hope to see you next January and maybe in between as well. Yeah, likely same time not next year. Not the exact same date, but pretty much things like the 11th or something. So, again, that time of season when there's nothing happening. Uh, the We've only played, like, one one friendly 
still a month away from the Breslin's Cup. You're dying for football, so itching for a bit of Rovers yep. uh, scandal. So and again, we have we, big, we have provide. big plans. We have big big plans. We we want to make it even better than than this one. <laughs> it's laughing thinking about it. Virgin Media will double their live broadcasts to 14 games and show our home games with Derry in March and away to Shells in April. So they have matched RTE's quota, I think, 14 mm-hmm. games each. Um, and speaking of RTE, three of the first RTE televised, three of the first four televised games on RTE feature us, the Doc mm-hmm. Galway Bows. So once again, Rovers, Telepish, Aaron. Media darlings. <laughs> the only show in town. So, Pico's AFCON journey came to an end. Unfortunately, Prof, this was fascinating stuff. A heartbreaking defeat on penalties in, um, for Cabo Verde in the quarters against South Africa after a scoreless draw after extra time. So, I was fascinated with this South Africa team because eight of the starting 11 all start pretty much from Mamelodi Sundowns. The owner of Mamelodi Sundowns is also the president of AFCON. So, I, loved, I love all this stuff. So they've pretty much the starting eleven are Mamelodi Sundowns. So that's unre- unheard of, really, in, in world football when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's very unusual. Yeah. So it was it was pretty cool to uh, to look at that. But incredible scenes in this game. The penalty shootout itself, we were given out about the penalty shootout on the keepers previously because no keepers had made many saves. So African keeper just outdone himself, didn't he? I was raging I actually missed this game because I watched the last 16 game and I was really looking forward to the quarters but Mark again the guy who I said filled in for the quiz um, he turned 30 on Friday morning so we actually went from the quiz to Malloy's me, the Gen Tim and Arla just to celebrate his 30th and we were all in a heap the next day in work we were just a disaster <laughs> and then his actual birthday celebration was in Rap Mines. So again, the gent came in with me. So I had me and the gent and another friend. We were sitting there watching AFCON penalties in Blackburn and Rap Mines. <laughs> Imagine telling people what you're doing. Um, but my God, some of the worst penalties you ever see. Someone said the worst they've seen since 2010. Did you notice uh, that any time Cape, Cape Verde got a free kick within 50 yards, baby would have a shot? Is this because he scored from 40 yards? I, but I gave him way too much credit last week, by the way. That keeper was atrocious. Like, a couple of the, the keepers are dodgy, but like 40, 50 yards out, having pops, just come on. Like I, I, I just thought he should have been taken off the freeze. But. Yeah, and he missed chances again, didn't he? But, um, yeah, one of the first six penalties scored, like, that is shocking. Uh, Woody says, CV inches away from an AFCON semi-final. That is mad to I think know. about. Crazy, Afghan, still Afghan quarterfinals. He's so. brilliantly had an absolutely fantastic tournament as well. He did. He was brilliant. He was superb. Um, even the commentators were loving him because he was getting stuck in it and really physical. So great stuff from Pico. I'm looking forward to having him back, Prof. Yeah, and I actually got my Cape Verde jersey in the post. Now, if you know me, Gar, I very rarely buy jerseys. Yeah, very much so. I'm not one of those people who will just buy two jerseys a season just because it looks nice now I bought this for a reason I think you know what it's for Gar <laughs> it's with an eye to something and yeah Pico actually featured on the sweeper pod which I'm a big fan of did he? Um, wait, I say featured he sent in a voice now for them like, oh, it, was, it was it's a brilliant pod as well yeah it was short enough 
but they were talking about him and the LinkedIn story and all, which, interestingly, I was having, I had to go chat with Greener after the Civic Theatre, and is that our exclusive? What's exclusive? The LinkedIn. Did we did we break that? No, that we, didn't, we, didn't break, we no? didn't break that. No. Did he tell us when we thought we broke it? Well, we're claiming it now. <laughs> but Greener was kind of saying, he feels because that story is so weird and funny that maybe people aren't respecting um, what he's achieved more. They're not talking about it more. If you, if you take a, out the silliness of the LinkedIn story yeah. and look at what he's... He's after playing in two international tournaments. But I know he gets, a, he gets media attention at the time for a couple of weeks. But should it get more respect? It's amazing how they latch on to the minor details... I didn't pay any attention to that story. I think initially when we first heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, so someone sent a second message on LinkedIn, that's how we got it. That's pretty cool. But now it's becoming the focal point of Pico. Unfairly mm. as well, I think you said. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Um, just, on, just on that on Sweeper Pod, it's like, I don't always get a chance to, to listen to it, but I, I keep an eye on their Twitter and I kind of read out like, what's what will they talk about and even their headlines just made me laugh like what they're talking about like there was one I think it was a Belgium like a Belgium cup the draw was conducted by like a mandible claw you know like you know the claw in like the arcade games yeah 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 and it was it was an absolute disaster like it wasn't grabbing the balls properly and all it was just like just mad stuff like this and one thing they asked on Twitter was what's the best footballer contract clause you've ever heard of and they're just like Surely Sunderland trying to stop Stefan Swartz from travelling into space. This was the contract clause. Imagine sitting there at the table. <laughs> so, 20,000 a week, 1,000 goal bonus, can't go to space. <laughs> he actually wanted to. Um, this is the former Arsenal uh, Sunderland, was it? Yeah. And Armenia, Belfield, what's that? How do you pronounce that? Argentinian club? Belfield, I think. I think uh, they're German. Armenia, Belfield. Um, I thought it was the Argentinian club no? Vela Sarsfield you thinking of mm. they, um, they built Giuseppe Reina three Lego houses because he had put into his contract that he wanted three houses but he oh didn't specify God. what kind of house so they built him three Lego That's, houses uh, that actually happened that happened imagine that's like reminds uh, <laughs> me of John Giles <laughs> talking about the apartment at the gala oh yeah um, yeah, so another incredible AFCON stat by Daniel Story. 2021 AFCON quarterfinals. Senegal, Egypt, Morocco, Burkina Faso, Equatorial Guinea, Gambia, Cameroon and Tunisia. And the AFCON 2023 quarterfinals. Nigeria, DR Congo, Angola, South Africa, Mali, Cape Verde, Guinea and Ivory Coast. So a total different lineup, which is insane. First time ever in international football. It's um, crazy. That is... What a stat that is. Um... That's just unbelievable. So, in terms of Gareth, who will be the new captain of Rovers, still no official announcement. I know a lot of people assume on Pico because he's been vice captain for so long, but no official word on who's replacing Finner. Um, as for kind of Finner and Big Al, like long, long servants, great servants of the club, uh, I like this question from Ryan McDyer uh, a while back. He goes, a bit of a random one. When was the last time Rovers held a testimonial for a player? Great show. God. I think we, were we ever at one? I don't think I've been at one, but 
I'm pretty sure the last one was Derek Tracy in 2010. 2010. This was... Uh, it was after the league ended. I remember, actually. We only won stand. Was this before yeah. or after the cup final? No, I'm not, I'm not positive. But it was at the end of the very end of the season. And uh, I think we won like 6-2 or something. And Tracy scored a penal. Um, that's the last one. It's not really a thing. I don't we, see do many testimonials. Finn and, and Al definitely deserve one. It's weird seeing Finn being substituted for UCD, isn't it? Um, here's another question yeah. for, for the listeners out there who is the last trialist we signed on a full deal <coughs> let them answer it I know you probably know I was talking about mm. trialists yesterday did Sam say he was a trialist in that interview I think he might have I think he said something about his agent at the time but mm. he might have been on trial he was on trial mm. actually but it's a good question isn't it a few mm. people spring to mind I won't say anything yet yeah I have one answer to jump to mind as well I won't say um, so yeah and then that that was in the group chat about testimonial and someone said yeah Finn and Manus deserve one versus AC Milan because we're all we're all that game yeah. right we get the San Absolutely, Siro imagine. and then Tommy says classic Tommy Tommy uh, for Alan Manus testimonial Linfield at Rolleston behind closed doors <laughs> oh, Tommy uh, there's always the one that got away as well Prof Akeem Priestley imagine that's, is that the second shot in a row you've brought up him oh, yeah. I, keep, I keep thinking about him Akeem, I'd love, to, I'd love to know what he's doing now, actually. Right, so, Prof, you have the women's team's latest news. Yeah, so season tickets are on sale for 2024. Sales are already up from last year, so that's a bit of positive news. €45 Euro for an adult, 25 senior and student, child under 12, €25. Euro. And 50% of all season tickets revenue will be donated to women's aid. Brilliant initiative, so well done to all involved. And we have more players come into their future to the club. We have goalkeeper Amanda Budden, Neil Leary, who was uh, an excellent player. She was a standout last year. Aoife Keddy, Shauna Fox. We have Shannon Cody and Alana Preisman have graduated from the academy ranks to sign for the first team squad. Um, some former player news. We had Abby Larkin moved from Glasgow City to Crystal Palace, so she's in the move. And uh, the women's team had their first run now. At the weekend, there was an in-house game against their women's under-19s that kicked off the pre-season programme. Uh, the home women's games will be an hour earlier this season, 4pm. They were 5. So every women's game at the this season will be a 4 o'clock kick-off, except for the last one against Shelburne. That's still 5 o'clock. And TG4 have chosen the Galway game at home on May 25th for Excellent coverage. Stuff. Excellent stuff, Prof. Um, we're moving on to our other news in the league Waterford have signed Podge um, and I I think this is possibly three years too late I think if you were signing him many years have you been, been waiting for this man I to come know, home yeah, I know I he, think... nearly, he nearly did with Sligo he was very close to coming home for Sligo about two years ago yeah I think um, 35 Waterford I mean you probably wouldn't say no if you were Waterford but I think could be getting on a bit but then again he could prove us wrong prof but um, we've Huben going to Derry as well for a fee of 30,000 sterling I think I loved how suddenly we Rovers were supposedly interested and then and then the move happened yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, possibly a good signing if he can stay fit their their ranks are swollen as it is already so 
they had some bad news with Sadu Diallo out for the next eight weeks as well. So um, they're down a midfielder. Over our pals, over at Between the Sheds, they tweeted, if new Dundalk owner Brian Ainsco wasn't aware of what he's taken on at Dundalk, he is now the new Lily White's owner, seat broke as he took up his place in the new stand at tonight's <coughs> friendly defeat against Longford Town. So we already knew about <coughs> Dundalk and the potential downfalls that exist of owning the club, uh, the infrastructure that exists. Now, I think their training facilities are okay. But overall, Oriel Park has been touched in years, like a, like a long, long time. And it is a health and safety issue. And um, I think he, he kind of realises now what, what, what he's in for. So there's can a lot I, to do. Can I just... This is very difficult for me and everyone listening as well, I'd say. To put your mind... Put yourself in the shoes of a Dundalk supporter. I don't think I could go to games every week and not feel pride in my ground I couldn't look at those seats and those walls and those stands for a club that has reached two group stages and won five league titles or whatever it was under Kenny and the ground looks the exact same I couldn't bring myself to go I couldn't accept it that it's the same that of all that's happened in the club no one Taught to do anything. Damning. I can't. I just. I couldn't do it. Like. <laughs> oh, and not the, even a cup holder, by the way. The Dundalk Tallis Day. Gar. Oh, the ball squad is bare, because, uh, as of now, as we record this, we believe they have under eighteen senior players under contract. Yeah, it's um. I think John O'Connor Chippy. On Twitter, he's posting up regular updates and he's putting up squad lists. And I think Dundalk just about got a goalkeeper over the line as well. But Bows, Bows are looking trim, mm-hmm. and I think they need to bolster that squad. They got two Estonians in with a couple of caps to their name. Depends if uh, they had a couple of friendlies away. They were in Glasgow B and and Rangers B. They were playing in Glasgow or in Celtic. So it's interesting to see how they progress now with. Signings and who they can get in. Listen, I, I will take every opportunity to slag balls, but mm. even I thought too much was made of that Rangers B friendly. I mean, who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter who you play realistically. Well, some people were just just all over that. Um, more importantly, you're the poet singing at the climate conference. Um, some balls fans have had enough of this. Uh, <laughs> one of the all-time great quotes about this. Some have had enough of the hippies and. Beardy weirdies. <laughs> that was the best quote of the week. Like, oh, uh, do you know what it reminds me of? I'm not sure. Some people will remember this. Do you remember a video game called Abe's Odyssey? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like this weird dystopian future with like lizard people or whatever they are. But he had this power, and whenever you press like R two and L two together, he go well, 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 and that's just what I thought of when when I was watching that clip of <laughs> of the poets. So Abe's Odyssey, uh, people will remember it now. Yeah. Some will, if you remember, tweet us. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's so it's, it's interesting to see the squads. So they're they're, I think shells shells are stocked. Shells have a big squad. Derry have a big squad. Drotted are looking good as well. We will we'll do our um, Sligo we, look very weak. Sligo, yeah, it's what we got left. Still got it's, it's actually very close to the start now. So, um, 
anyone else coming in mm. they're probably lacking pre-season so so yeah all the ball squad is bare or as one fan in the Tifty's B group he, he seems to have new lyrics all the balls will be spare <laughs> so uh, yeah keeps throwing up some buttes doesn't it the old mm-hmm. B team um, and surprise surprise the New Zealand rugby game in Lansdowne Road will be on the day before this year's FAI Cup final so back to business prof same happened in 2020 and 2022 as well so what way can we prepare for the FAI Cup final let's let over 20 men run around on it who probably weigh 20 stone each and tear up the pitch so does this league ever sometimes feel to you that it's just one step forward two steps backwards because actually look at the thing we're about to read now in a second about the draw had held the pre-season event where they had uh, an under drugs film premiere yep. 600 people turned up I couldn't believe like that can't believe it. I was six hundred. I, I was actually happy for them. I was like, I was delighted. I was like, good. All paid tickets as well. Like, I'd like to see that sort of interest in the league around 600. the smaller clubs. That's deadly. Monster crowd, man. Fair play. So you read that, and then you're like, but the cup final in November will have a chopped up pitch. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, Academy news, Prof. Irish Lithuanian Orlandas Yakas has moved to. <sighs> Um, has moved this, to Zugas Telsai in Lithuania. So all the best to Orlandas in the next step in his career. Um, in January, the SRFC Primary School Blitz returned. So that was another big one. And our 2010 group were in London for the Arsenal Hale Cup. So the Hale End Cup. Uh, we won that last year, didn't we? Didn't the Greeners team win that? Yeah, they beat Arsenal. They beat a couple of players on the way. Yeah. Little old Rovers oh, came home with the trophy. January 22nd, following an extensive review of Shamrock Rovers Football Club Academy, the club are pleased to announce a restructure of our setup, which we feel will allow us to remain number one professional football academy in Ireland, following a a robust recruitment as Director of Academy Operations Simon Friel has joined us from Carlisle United, where he held the role of Academy Manager. Simon was central to Carlisle United, maintaining its status as a Category 3 Academy having implemented the standards set out by the Professional Game Academy Audit Company, PGAAC, in England. So, big welcome to Simon. Not sure when he takes up his reign, but uh, welcome him with open arms and to a new era in the Roadstone project, Prof. Seems to have a good reputation and track record. So yeah. yeah, so to finish it off, in the absence of any equivalent standards in the League of Ireland, Shamrock Rovers FC will look to implement a similar approach over the coming season. So, um, excellent stuff. Looking to keep our standards really high. Yeah, so Prof, next up we have Neil O'Donoghue who played for us in the 70s and then forged a career in the NFL. So I'm delighted to be joined by Neil O'Donoghue today. I think it's safe to say he's the first and only guest we've ever had on to play for both Shamrock Rovers and in the NFL. That was Rovers in the early 70s and he's a former place kicker for three different teams at the highest level of American football in the late 70s, mid-80s as well. So, welcome, Neil. Thank you, Carl. Good to be with you. So, you were christened uh, Cornelius Joseph Connor Dennis Neil O'Donoghue. Yeah, you had more names yeah. than a Brazilian, but everyone called you Corny growing up, I believe. And then when did the Con nickname start? Okay, when I um growing up, when I was playing at Round Towers in Clondalkin, um. I was called Corny. That was my, basically my name. Uh, that's what I was known about. Then uh, when I got in the, uh, when I played for Rovers in Drumcondra, 
uh, it was changed to Khan. You know, that's the way they wanted Khan O'Donoghue. And then uh, when I came over to America, it was Neil. So my brother says, you can judge the time of my life by the name. You know, Carney was like up to maybe 15, 16, and then Khan, and then it was Neil. So, yeah, well, they're all good. <laughs> and you grew up in Kondok, and you uh, loved your sport. Your dad, um, who you sadly passed when you were young, but you played for the Ireland hockey team, so you played football, GA, you loved all sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sports back in the 50s. I grew up in uh, the 50s, early 60s, out in Clondalkin. And, and uh, I was in a neighborhood where there's a bunch of kids. Every house had at least three or four kids in it. So it was always enough to play a soccer game out in the street. So basically, that's where we learned to skill on the street, you know, knocking a ball against the wall. And, and then uh, at uh, eight, I uh, ended up playing for the under-13s at Round Towers and um, played there 13, 14, 15. And then I played Moyle Park College, played the soccer, and I got picked up by a team called Rangers. I don't know if you know them. Bushy Park? Yep. Not too uh, far from me, yep. Yeah. So we were undefeated there for three years. So a lot of good players came out of that team. Um, and then... Uh, I played in the schoolboy. We were actually playing in a schoolboy league, or it was a competition or something. We we're playing against some team, and we had a uh, we had a game against Rob, not against Rob's against drums, as a as a warm up to the game, and uh, I ended up scoring three goals against the first team, Drum Condra. I was think sixteen at the time, and they picked me up. I remember. I don't know if you know Eamon Darcy. You used to call him Sheila. The goalkeeper yeah, for drums. Yep. Yeah. Well, he shows up in my house and says uh, they want to they want to sign me. You know, I think it was 16. And then uh I played for them, played a few games, scored scored a few goals, you know, got a lot of experience there. And uh then I was playing a little Gaelic again, Gaelic football, and then uh I was playing for the schoolboys team with Rangers and actually the coach on that team was Billy Young. And I met Billy Rovers. Mm -hmm. So he signed a couple of guys off that team to play with Rovers. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. There's a lot of, a lot of the, um, experienced guys there. I was just looking through an old, uh, folder I have with the teams on there. You'd have the likes of Pat Dunn on there, Craig, uh, Richardson, Mick Leach, um, Frank O'Neill. Uh, Frank O'Neill, yeah. I have a story about Frank when I it was probably my first game, and yeah, I, I don't know if you ever seen Frank play, he just stayed on the right wing basically. And he, he always took the guy to the outside, he never, he never rarely saw him cutting inside, you know. So I was playing inside right. I see Frank and they're, they're square at the back. And I thought I hit the most beautiful ball right through the full back and the center back. You know, Frank just stops looking at me. What do you, I get the ball here. You know, so <laughs> it was like introduction to uh, who's the boss, you know, but I thought it was a great pass and he just, to my feet, he went on his feet, you know, but you learn everything. Some great players. Um, Mick Burma's on that team. 
I'm not on the team, but he was the uh, the coach. And he was actually the first guy to introduce me to weights. He took two or three of us because we were all pretty young, 16, 17, 18. And he uh, took us down around Christ Church, some of the weight room down there. And he, I remember him introducing us to, you know, to uh, weights. He wanted to build me up a little bit and that. So uh, it was a great experience. Um, I love to have a guy called, um, God, what was his name? Billy Lord. He was like, do you remember him? He was the trainer at Milltown, yeah. He was a trainer, you know, with the, always had a cigarette in his mouth. You know, the ash would be coming out, and uh, I was a great guy. But I remember, you know, I was playing there as an amateur, but I remember he, you know, he was the one who gave it to me. He says, uh, first time I got paid, he gave me an envelope, had about 10 pounds in it. Jeez, I thought I'd hit the big leagues, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a great experience there. And then um, – uh, I got caught up with um, the GAA again. They saw me on the mine. They wanted me playing the minors. They're playing the semifinal in, in Crow Park, so I played a little bit there. And uh, but uh, Rowers, you know, it was a great, great experience for me. You know, Milltown was a great place to play. Great atmosphere. You know, I mean, the, the pitch was right. The, the fans are breathing down your neck. You know, but uh, no, it was a great place to play. I, I really enjoyed my my time there. It wasn't quite the crowds of the 1960s. Did you notice them starting to dwindle, or were they mostly still there? Yeah, uh, we were going through. Yeah, when they signed, when they signed me, they signed maybe three or four guys who were from that Dublin schoolboys team, and uh, we were all young. So he was Billy had the idea of out with the old, in with the new, you know. So um, he kept he kept the base, the basic of the team, you know, Pat Dunn. Damian Richardson, Mick Leach was on the team, but you could tell it wasn't the same. They were going through transitions at the time. You know, the 60s was a great time. Actually, my first memory of a League of Ireland game was, I must have been about 10 years old, going into Daly Mount Park for the cup final. And they were playing drums. And I remember coming up the, the, the stairs at the back, and I remember getting to the top, and it was a beautiful sunny day. I remember the yellow jerseys, Drum Condra, and the... Uh, the hoops, you know, it was just the most beautiful sight in the world to me, you know, as a 10-year-old. So I was hooked right away, you know. Uh, you scored three goals in 16 league FEI Cup, Texaco Cup appearances. Your debut was away to Sligo, uh, replacing Damien Richardson. You mentioned Frank O'Neill crossing balls into you. Like, was that a tactic because of your heist? To, did you score a couple well, of headers? Yeah, I was playing, Mick was always playing like the, the center forward position. So I was more of an inside right. But uh, I scored a few goals in my head, you know. Um, but he, he was a great passer of the ball, Frank. You know, across the ball is brilliant. I think that we beat Shelburne one year, one nothing, And, uh, it was, you know, just across from Frank, it was just like unbelievable, you know. Shelburne, I mean, uh, was it Shelburne or Drums? It was actually uh, Shelburne. I think we beat one nothing, but it was a pretty packed crowd that day. You know, it was good, good rivalry. Yeah, good times. Well, Billy Young was was sacked pretty early into that season. There was Paddy Ambrose that took over. Do you remember what he was like as a manager? Well, Paddy was, uh, you know, coming up from the fifties, sixties. You know, he was a very personable guy, uh, and he pulled you aside, put his arm around you, and you know, this is where we want to go. You know, it's totally different than it was today. Um, 
training sessions were fun. We worked hard. Uh, and you have some players coming back from England training with us. I remember Joe Haverty came came back. I remember little Joe, he's about five foot nothing. I could put him in my back pocket, you know. But uh, great characters on those teams. A lot of Dubliners, you know. Most of the guys came up through the leagues. Um, you were working in uh, Houston Station ticket office. So yeah. a lot of players, did they have jobs like that? Uh, back then, it was kind of like, uh, you know, you had to work. I mean, I was I did my leaving cert. I was out. I was 18, 17, 18. Um, you know, uh, my dad had passed away early. So, you know, he had to kind of uh, put a little money in the family if he could. Uh, my brother was... Uh, well on the way to being a, an architect, that was his goal. Ended up, uh, he ended up uh, working. He actually owns the the one of the biggest uh, architectural firms in Dublin. He was the guy that worked on uh, Crow Park when they redid it back in the about 10, 15 years ago. So <laughs> I guess I wasn't the greatest student in the world. I mean, I was always into sports. That was my thing. You know, I just, it was football, Gaelic, you know, hurling, whatever it was, I was, I was in for it. But, uh, yeah, I was at Houston Station, you know, and I used to ride my bike in there from Clondalkin. And, uh, you know, I'd finish up at 5 o'clock. A lot of games would be in the evenings, you know, the long evenings, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. you get a bus wherever you're going, you know. But uh, when I was playing at uh, Rangers, I used to ride my bike from Clondalkin over the Bushy Park. That's probably a good, what, 5, 10 miles, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you did things, you know, when you had the love for the game and you do things. I remember one day coming back, it was in December after a night training session and it's just freezing, freezing my ass off. And it was like, why am I doing this? You know, it's like, because you love it, you know? And then, uh, that's just, if you're into athletics, I mean, it's like, it's in your blood, you know? So you end up going to the States to play, uh, soccer, as they call it over there for St. Bernard college. So this was the first ever soccer scholarship awarded to an Irish person in, uh, 1972. Mm-hmm. You were only 19 years of age. How did this happen? Um, well, my brother was over in, uh, here working in a, you know, like a work study place for the architect back in 70, it would have been 71, 70, 71, I think. And uh, he hooked up with a few guys, and he hooked up. A, it was an Irish guy there who he was playing with at the time, and he was, you know, he was trying to recruit some players. Uh, most of the players that I played with are St. Bernard from New Jersey, New York, you know, because there wasn't a lot of soccer in, in Alabama at the time. So um, uh, he he got a hold of the guy at the college, the, the the guy from Ireland, and next thing you know, they're sending a guy over here trying to recruit me, you know. <laughs> So I wasn't really into it, you know. I mean, I was playing playing for Rovers. I was enjoying myself. I was making a little bit of money, you know. But I said, hey, I'll do it for a year. Try it out. Travel a little bit. See how I like it. But uh, when I came over here, it was I just fell in love with the place. Because back then, the 70s, early 70s, Ireland was, Ireland was kind of a, going through a depression kind of thing, you know. So... Uh, when you went to America, everything was kind of open. The whole world, I mean, it's everything. You couldn't even buy a pair of Levi's in Ireland, you know. But uh, today, they're all the same. You know, you go to America, you go to Ireland, and you got the same, you know, that same ability to buy things. And this, uh, the countries, uh, when I was back home, was unbelievable. The uh, I think they got, 
what, 0% unemployment there, good tech jobs over there. So everybody seems to be happy. Everybody seems to be booming over there. You know, the rugby team's doing well. You know, it's a great sports, great sports uh, country. So um, we went over there. I went to Alabama, which in 1972 was a, it was a, a shock, you know, because of the, uh, the culture shock, because of the, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, Governor Wallace. You know the the uh, the, the racial things and all that. I, I played with a couple of black guys on the team. You know, and they're great. They're from New Jersey, New York, and he just they couldn't go off campus at that time. It was just a very, very, very uh, racist thing. It was just a total eye opener for me. You know, I just you know come up Maryland, I never seen this. You know, we might have an argument, but you you put your arm around the guy and shake his hand after you have it. You know. But it was a totally different country, a totally different place. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, I made All-American there, I think, my first year. And uh, they had me on the, you know, they weren't paying for everything. So uh, I'd written away to, like, Notre Dame. And they wanted to give me a scholarship. And I'm working, I'm working, I walk up, I walk about three miles to work. And it's pretty cold there at the time, it was in the wintertime. And I was washing trucks. You know, on these big uh, truckers, and uh, I remember just freezing my ass off. You put an acid on the car. You were, you know, sweeping them down up on top of the roof. And next thing you know, my coach is there. He says, uh, "I had a call from Notre Dame. They want to sign you." I said, "Yeah." He says, "Why do you want to do that?" He says, "Well, I'm, look what I'm doing up here. I'm up in the truck in the freezing weather and uh, trying to make a little money to get by." You know. He says, "Well, you got a full scholarship here now." You know, so. Uh, and then we were a good team. I mean, we're uh, a lot of good players in that team. Uh, I think we went undefeated freshman year or sophomore year. And uh, then in 1973, I think it was, they had a gas prices over there, you know, where gas went up. So having a college in Alabama to play a game, we'd, we'd be – traveling cars to Georgia, North Carolina. We'd be going down to Orlando, you know, so it was, it was costly. So they had to make a decision whether they wanted uh, to keep the soccer team or the basketball team. Well, basketball was more in tune with, you know, the culture there. So uh, I ended up, I could have gone to Notre Dame at the time, but then I said, uh, guys and teams, I used to try this kicking, kicking stuff, you know, so I said, ah, no, I don't want to do that. And then we went to a game, Alabama-Auburn game. It was in Birmingham. There's about uh, 80,000 people there. You know, it was just, uh, just a blast. The, the, the year after that, in the same game I played. So that was the second game. I played in the second game I ever saw live. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you, talk, you talk about, you talk about uh, you know, on the fast track at that time, you know. But it was all good. Well, actually, signing for um, Auburn University, you just basically showed up unannounced and changed your arm. Um, well, uh, I went down, you know, Coleman. I first went to uh, Tuscaloosa, which is Alabama, University of Alabama. And uh, uh, I go down there, I said, looking, you know, they, <clears throat> they'd look, they, they'd heard about me that I was looking for something. But anyway, I showed up and the coaches, it was in the off season. So they couldn't uh, – legally, they couldn't go down and watch me. 
you know, because against the rules, the, the you know, that once against a certain time of the year, you have to, you can't bring players in. But they said, listen, uh, the field is down there and we can see you from, you're there up in this big tower type of thing, you know, office. And they says, uh, take this bag of, bag of balls down there and kick them. Say kicking about 20, 20 minutes. So I was there for about 20 minutes, jumped the fence, got to get in there, 20, 30 minutes, nobody shows up or anything. I said, shit, I'm, I'm going back. Yeah, I'm done. So I hop over the fence, bring up the bag of balls, and they said, listen, uh, we'd like to sign you on the scholarship. Problem is we don't have any left. It's late in the year. But uh, we'll – We'll work something out with you, you know, to get to get, you know, pay the money and all that. So it's not, I can't do that. You know, I'm you know, I'm not a rich man here. You know, I need to make put some money in my pocket. So I went uh I went down to Auburn, which is about a hundred miles away from Alabama. Same thing, time of year. You know, they they, they uh basically all the scholarship was given out. So kick the balls, come back up, say, Yeah, we'd like to sign you. And uh, I said, okay. He said, then you're lucky because we have one scholarship. One guy turned down the scholarship. Scholarship he went to somebody else. So I was in there. So I got two years. I had two years of eligibility left. You know, you had to go to play three years of soccer, and then you have five years to, to play any sports. You know, but after five years, you're done. So after uh, when I uh, got out of Auburn. Uh, the draft. I was all I was all American actually in in football too. Uh, so the draft came up, and uh, I was picked. In, I think it was in the fifth round by Buffalo. And you know Buffalo is pretty cold place, so go up there and uh, you know I was playing up there. OJ Simpson, a couple of good guys, and well known name guys, and uh i was in there i think i was there for about nine ten games and it just didn't work out you know i was just a it wasn't a good environment for me so uh can i, I ask left. you about uh meeting oj what was that experience like uh oj like back then i don't know <laughs> he was probably number one guy on tv doing commercials like for avis so he was the first black person that i met our first black person you know i met that crossed the barrier, you know, black, white barrier in, in, in advertising. You know, you could see him in, you know, national advertising. So he's, he's a huge, he's a huge, uh, you know, a huge uh, person. And uh, he controlled the locker room, man. He had his own music in there, did what he wanted, and everybody took care of OJ, you know. But he was a good guy. I mean, we went out a few times and, you know, uh, you know, we'd meet for beers, not have the whole team kind of thing, you know. And, uh, I didn't see any. I didn't see any of you know what happened later after that. I, I didn't see that he was a very personable guy and very, uh, you know, gregarious. I mean, he, you know, he talked to anybody. But he he was the man. Um, I think his problem was he got everything. He was a great player and all that, but everything was kind of given to him, you know. So I think when the when the wife decided she didn't want to be with him anymore, it kind of. You know, it's probably the first time someone said no to him, you know. So I don't know what happened, but who knows? I think he I think he probably did it, you know. But uh but he he was fine, you know. He talked to you, no problem. 
You were you were cut early into the season. Was that step up from college football to the NFL? Was that huge? Um, it it's a big transition, you know, and uh, it's it's actually uh, Buffalo at the time were in a slump. They had lost probably 10, 12 games in a row from the preseason season. And actually, the last game I played, we beat, I don't know who it was, somebody, I think it was Atlanta 3 nothing. Next day, I get the word, hey, we're changing, you know. So I'd, it wasn't that I was kicking really bad. It was just, I don't know, it, it just wasn't a good match, you know. Did you have to sort of teach yourself uh, obviously, you'd been a free kick taker with the Terrors GA team, but you basically have to teach yourself how to kick a football. Yeah, I mean, when I first started, basically I was kicking a soccer ball, you know, over the, over the soccer posts, you know, and then you go, uh, you try and find a football post somewhere, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the guys had a few old footballs that they gave me, you know, that I was kicking those over. And uh, when I when they signed me at Auburn, they just – gave me shit, 20, 30 bags of balls I wanted, you know, that I wanted them, you know. So it, it definitely was, I think, you know, coming from the, the GA background, soccer background, it definitely helped, you know, I was a pretty fluid kicker. Um, and uh, the, the transition, it was a different transition. But uh, it's, uh, you know, you work at it. I, I worked really hard at it for probably eight months every day going out kicking, you know. So you start getting your confidence up, but nothing prepares you for walking on that field the first time at Auburn. I mean, they averaged probably 70,000 people every home game. The first game was against, uh, I don't know, it was probably 70,000 people, you know, and then you're asked to go out there, man. It's, uh, <laughs> you got to hold your breath a little bit. Are you asking yourself, how did I end up here when you see that crowd? How did I end up, I end up here? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, you get involved, you, you get dug in. It's the way you're taught, you know. You, you, you're in it You're in it now. You, you got to work it out. You got to figure that, this stuff out. So um, I I figured it out, you know. And then uh, after I got released by um, Buffalo, um, I went back. Where was I at? Yeah, I went back to Alabama. Uh, and I started kicking again for a while. Uh, and then out of the blue, I get a call from... Um, the Bucks to go down, you know, they wanted me down, uh, down there. And, uh, so I ended up going down there in 78, I think it was, and played there for two, two years, actually had a really good year. Second year, uh, went to the playoffs, went to the NFC championship game. And for some reason, well, it was uh, actually McKay who was the head coach at the time. He was saying, you know, you're good, you're here, you're going to be here, blah, 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 the whole, well. Next thing you know, Gary Upremian was one of the top kickers with Miami for years. Uh, he he was released by Miami, and he wanted to pick up a veteran kicker. So, yeah, that was it. I was gone after two years there, but uh, we had a good year. Went to the NFC Championship game. Next game would have been the Super Bowl. Uh, so it, it was it was really good. So when I got released there, I I stayed around. I'd married there, a place called just I'm living in Clearwater now. So I'm about Indian Rocks Beach would be about yeah, three miles from there. So that's where I lived when I was with the Bucks. So went back there. I got I met a guy and he was building um, condos on the beach. So uh, 
he says, yeah, he's trying to make decent money on this. So building these like 10 story condos, you'd be up, we were doing metal studs, metal studs, you know, the, so uh, you'd be up on top of the building, man, right on the beach there, weather's beautiful, you know, I thought life was good, you know. <laughs> so then uh, next thing I know, my wife's coming coming up. It wasn't like he had cell phones or anything. He says, you got a call from um, St. Louis, the Cardinals. I said, they want you to come up for a tryout. So I said, well, you know, I was still working out a little bit, but I wasn't, you know, I said, uh, and this was the season that starts, but uh, four games into the year, into the season. And they said, you know, just come on up. When I got there, uh, they said, uh, we're going to have, the, the guy that I have there was called, called Steve Little. He was number one draft choice. He's probably one of the few kickers drafted in the first, first round. Uh, so he was having some problems, you know. So coach says, well, we're going to have a, a you know, competition between the two of you mm, like kickoff so yeah yeah so after practice he uh kept all the players out there team players out there and says okay we're going to try 10 kicks from here 10 from here the other hash middle blah 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 I'll go back to 50 yards all that so uh end of the day he says uh okay you got the job um you know, we're and the problem with me was uh, we're playing. That was on a Wednesday, I think, and we're playing the Redskins next Sunday. So I, I didn't really have much time to adjust, but I had a good, I think it was six, seven years there, and uh, enjoyed St. Louis. You know, it's great town, good sports town, and uh, you know, retired after I think it was nine, ten years. So good career. I know you've told a story before about. Um, Steve Little after he after you were chosen over him and he was released um, was he gracious and can you tell the story of what followed then mm. yeah I mean uh, you know I, I knew what he was going through you know I mean I'd been I, it was all about pressure you know it's pressure 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 um, I'd been released twice but uh, you know you, you know why you know and it gets to you but um, after practice, um, I met Steve on the way out. You know, I was going out. He said, hey, man, good, good job, you know. And uh, he said, I said, don't worry about Steve. You're a good kicker. You know, you're going to be, you know, you just sometimes you need to be, start out fresh, you know. You need fresh, you know, just let the air out of the balloon, you know. So he talked for a while and he says, uh, I'll show you around tonight. You know, come on out, I'll show you around, you know. And uh, I said, uh, okay, because I hadn't been doing nothing about it. But then I um, I said, you know what, Steve, I, um, we're playing on Sunday, as you know, and I've got two days of kicking, get a little practice in. I'll take, uh, you know, I, I'll look you up, you know, maybe a couple of weeks or something, go out for a drink. So he said, all right. I said, good luck, part of ways, and, you know, I was staying in the uh, Holiday in downtown Clearwater, downtown St. Louis, and the stadium was only about half a mile from there, so I used to walk there every day. And I turned the TV on, and there was Steve's car wrapped around the pole, and uh, there was that party about 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, got paralyzed from the neck down. So it was uh, – I really didn't know what I wanted to continue Plain because you know it's the pressure is unbelievable as far as 
uh, you know, and I, I'd been through that twice. I knew that's what caused Steve to have the accident or, you know, to go out and have a drink and, you know, like we all do sometimes. But um, he was a young, I think he was like 21, 22 at the time, first round draft choice, great family, you know, great family man. And just that was it. It was over for him. I think he died about 10, 15 years ago, you know, just he started drinking, I guess, you know, I don't know. But uh, tough. And it's tough, you know, because then you go to the locker room and it's like next day and these guys, you know, they all knew Steve is a good guy. And you, you, you're you going into that environment, you know, where you know what happened. Basically, you know, you kind of say, well, if I wasn't here, maybe, you know, but you, you can't, you know, this is your job and this is what you had to do. And so, you know, you work your way back into the team and try and make yourself, uh, you know, try and make yourself uh, successful and go from there. I mean, that's your goal. You're there to do a job. Basically, you're a professional. That's what you do. So, but you learn, you learn a lot of lessons going through that. And you speak about pressure. Um, Does the life of a kicker, when games come down to small margins, uh, mm-hmm. For example, you scored the winning kick for the Bucks to send you into the playoffs. You also missed an important kick for the Cardinals. Are they extreme highs and extreme lows? Um, they are, but you try and control that. You know, you have to. You know, I I always felt that when the pressure was on, I did a little better. You know, you're more focused, and you know, you're total focused. But uh, every kick was important, extra points. You know, you miss an extra point, then it could come back and haunt you at the end of the game, you know. So every kick uh, was important, but you, you try to catch some kind of balance. You have to, you know. I enjoyed the off-seasons. I played a lot of tennis. I did a lot of stuff I enjoyed doing. But during the season, it's you're in that bubble where, you know, this is your job uh, as a kicker. You know, it's... Uh, Success, success or failure is a very thin line. If you make it, it's, uh, there's no gray area there. You make it, you're, you know, it's 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 terrible. If you if you, if you make it, it's great. If you don't, hey, you got to get hope if you get another choice, another chance, you know, to do something. But um, you know, you know, the the more experience you get, the better you get at it. You know, and I'm basically at the end of it, same at the end of Cardinals is basically my decision. Man, I had back problems, and I just you know. You get as like 35, 36. And it's like, you know, that was, you, you can't kick with a bad back, you know? So it was my time. Uh, you're six foot six. You you were the tallest kicker in NFL history. Did people make a thing of your hoist? Did you stand out for that reason? And did people doubt you initially before seeing you kick? Um, I don't know. They, these teams do their homework, you know? Um, I always felt comfortable in my own skin kind of thing. But um, I think the my leg, I had good leverage, you know, I had good, a lot of strength uh, in my legs. Um, but um, no, I don't think, I, 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 you know, I think they, you know, if you're 6'2", six, 6'6", six, six, you're fine, you know. If you're a little shorter, you're not going to get the same velocity on the ball, you know. But uh, I always felt comfortable and um, I always felt accepted. You know, I, I tried to be part of the team. A lot of, a lot of kickers, that they say, oh, God, this guy's an oddball or something, you know. But uh, I had a lot of good friends on the team, you know, as part of the, uh, we'd go out, we're, you know, a team together. So um, you have to be, you have to be, because you know if you miss a kick, if they don't like you, you're... <laughs> 
get rid of them, you know, but if you're a buddy, you know, they're all in for you. Hey, you know, come on, we're rooting for you. So uh, I always had that attitude, you know, as a team, let's go for it. But uh, again, no, no gray areas and kicking, you know, good days when you make them, bad days when you miss, you know, but you have to get over it, move on. Yeah, you held the, the, the most points in the season record for the Cardinals, Cardinals uh, 576 points in 110 regular season appearances. Like, what would you pick as your favorite NFL memory, I suppose? What's the highlight when you think about your career? Um, Obviously, you know, when I was playing the Bucks, got in the playoffs, that was a hell of a game because we were a young team. Uh, I was 79, they were there in 76. They lost 16 games in a row, I think. Now, when I came in uh, after that, we won, I think it was like four games in 70, in 70, four or five games, 78. And then in 79, we won 10 and six. We won the NFC you know, championship, uh, our division, then beat Philadelphia in the playoffs and lost to the Rams. But that whole season was magical, you know, because we're a new team. We're a bunch of young guys, you know, basically um, – you know, young franchise, and uh, I guess the coach had like a seven-year plan, and you know, we got there in like four years. I think was a huge accomplishment. Um, so that that whole environment, because because Tampa Bay is such a neat place to play. You know, it's uh, it's 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 a great environment. You know, you got the weather, you got the, you know, you got the golf, you got a lot of things going on. So that was that was enjoyable as a whole experience. Um, I had a couple of big kicks, you know, beat Dallas a couple of times. Uh, you know, Dallas, I hated Dallas. You know, back then, everybody hated Dallas Cowboys, you know. It was just, they're different, different, you know. We are the best kind of thing, but to beat them was was nice. Um, but there was, there was a lot of kicks, Philadelphia uh, against Washington. Uh, you know, I think I have about 20-game balls here, you know, just from – just from St. Louis, you know, so, you know, it's, it, it was all good. I mean, it was a good experience. Um, and then you move on to real life, you know. I <laughs> uh, see Shelburne and John Condra on your CV. Uh, what stage was that? Did you play for them? Um, drums would have been the first team I played with. So hmm. I would have been, uh, I think I played Rovers 71, I think it was, was it? So drums would yep. have been 70. 70 or six, 70 or 69. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, that was my introduction to professional soccer, you know, with drums. And then, uh, you know, you kind of, you're not winning. So I went back to schoolboy team, I think it was, and uh, played there for a while and then got picked up by Rovers. Um, Rovers, I, great experience there because, you know, I, they had so many, uh, you know, midnight games. I mean, they're always in the interference cup or whatever it was, you know, and uh, just going to those games under the lights was just, you know, it just sucks you right in, you know. But um, the, um, what was the last one you said? Uh, Shelburne. Shelburne. Uh, Shelburne was, uh, that was another story. Uh, I was back from school. So I would have been over in America and I was back on vacation. And, uh, they were playing, I don't know, they had, actually it was a cup game, I think it was. And uh, I was asked, uh, you know, do you want to come in and play? There's a guy there called, I don't know if his name is uh, Bob Dylan. Do you ever know that guy? The name? 
No, not the singer. <laughs> no, not the singer. No. But he he was hooked up with shell. He was hooked up with shells. But he was also a coach of mine at uh, when I was playing uh, in Clondalkin soccer, St. Kevin's there. And uh, he said, "Neil, yeah, come on in, man. We we'll get you in." And uh, yeah, I was on the bench, and I was pulled in. And I think it was at halftime. And back then, I don't you probably remember, but they had, you know. George Best would be overplaying, you know. Uh, but with Shells at the time, they had signed uh, Jimmy Johnson, the Celtic winger, mm. to, uh, you know, to come over. they pay him, like, I don't know what they pay him. Then they go back on Monday. And, but anyway, uh, I remember uh, I'm looking over, and there's Jimmy Johnson on the right wing, you know, size of a flea. And uh, he was just taking on, going back and forth around two or three guys and sent the crossover, you know. It's just magical play with that because i i remember the uh the they were the first to win the european cup i think it was uh they played uh who was it now they played milan in the uh who did they play in the european cup and they won a celtic here's the question for you now um sorry can you ask again who was who was the who did celtic play in the European Cup when they won the World it was Inter Milan, was it? Oh, when they won it was Inter Milan, yeah. Inter Milan, yeah. So I mean that's right, you know, that's my Jimmy Johnson. But anyway, after the game, uh, you know, we're on the bus and uh we're having a few drinks and they'd stop at every town, have a few but you had to bar have a few drinks there, and there's Jimmy Johnson and he's coming up at fit him in my back pocket, you know. But I remember he we were sitting in the back of the bus and he was singing uh, Rod Stewart. Uh, you're Celtic United, but maybe I've decided. You know, it's just to sit with him. The compliment was just just magical. Yeah. So you're living in the US more than fifty years now. You've been uh, working as a, a car a car salesman for for twenty uh, three kids. Any of the the kids have they tried to follow in your footsteps? They're all good athletes, but they no, no, they're smarter than me. <laughs> I swear to God, but now I've got, uh, they're all good. Um, I've got uh, three of them, two girls, and uh, they've all been good. All been a blessing. Um, wanted to ask you as well about Daniel Whelan from Enniskerry. He's now a punter mm-hmm. for Green Bay Packers. So you had been the last Irish foreign player mm-hmm. to play in the NFL until Daniel last year. Uh, mm-hmm. probably brought all this back up again for you, didn't you? Your story and everything. Were you surprised yeah, I mean, that it took so long? Yeah, I, I think they they think they're more prepared than we were back then, you know. I mean, when I went over there it was like on a one way ticket and hundred bucks in your pocket, you know, kind of deal and a half scholarship in Alabama, you never knew where it was. So I think they're a little more organized now. But um yeah, I mean he's uh I've watched him a few times. Uh he's got a good leg. He's a punter, you know. Uh I think there's a little less pressure on a punter than there is a field goal kicker, you know, because you can kind of, I can miss, you can miss a field goal kicker by an inch and it's bad. You can, you can shank a punt and go 70 yards if you're lucky, you know, but uh, no, he's got a hell of a career ahead of him. You know, if he gets into, um, you know, get settled with that Green Bay team, we're going to be a good team, you know, next four or five years, you know, he's, he's, and he seems like he's got a good head. He's holes for the kicks, the field goal kicks too, which is important. Um, no, he he'll he'll be fine, you know. And uh, I want to ask as well, all eyes in Las Vegas this week. 
for uh, Super Bowl 58. So Kansas City and San Francisco, the Niners, they will, uh, uh, they're going to face off on Sunday. Give us your prediction on for, for this one. Um, it's going to be, you know, Super Bowls are funny. They can be close games or if one team gets ahead. Uh, but I think you get two exceptional teams here now. Um, I think uh, San Francisco is a little more methodical. They got that Purdy at quarterback. Uh, he can get down the field. Uh, you know, he's got good, a lot of good players around him, really good players around him. Um, I think he's uh, he's got a good running back, McCaffrey. You get to watch that guy. He's a tough, tough runner. Hell of a defense. Um, and then you go to the other side, you go with Mahomes. Uh, you know, he, he's helped to skelter, man. He can, you know, he can run around, great feet. You know, he'll make something happen. He's explosive. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for me if I was a betting man to bet against uh, Kansas City. I think they're about a two-and-a-half-point favor on it. But uh, I think uh, they've been there twice. Uh, you know, won it there three times, won it twice. Um, San Francisco, the first time you go as a quarterback, and that can be uh, a little bit of a um, get to you a little bit. Uh, both teams are really good kickers, you know, which is important in a game like that. Um, I think, um, I think that um, punting's the same, you know, they're both averaging about 47 yards a kick, good coverage on the kicks. So, I think if I was betting the game, I'd say Kansas City. Because of Mahomes, you know, and they, uh, they both teams got really good defenses, so it should be a hard hitting team. You know, it should be, it's going to be a tough game, no matter who. You know, it's going to be. Hopefully, it's a close game, good game. But I would pick Kansas City for sure. Do you think the the kickers is an interesting story because you have Harrison Butker of uh, Chiefs? He's been reliable for seven seasons, whereas Forty yep. Niners they're placing their trust in a rookie, Jake Moody. Yeah, well, um, I was looking here. Let's see what we got here. I mean, these kickers today, it's unbelievable. Uh, Butner, 33 of 35, 94%. Uh, Moody, 21 of 25, 84%. That's, it's, that's unbelievable, you know, the, the, those kind of stats. Um, then you have, um, you know, punters, average, both averaging 47 yards a kick. Uh, net now that again forty one, which is a huge part of gamma. When you look at when you look at football, more yards is won and lost in the kicking game than the running or passing game, because the yards you kick forty yards down the field, it can be uh, a great plus or you know. So uh, I think when you got a a uh, kicker who's been there, especially in the Super Bowl, you know, I'd be I'd be saying my my money be on him, but. You never know. The other guy's hitting eighty four percent. That's that's pretty strong. But uh, when you haven't been there, you know your first time walking out in that field is going to be a little little shaky. Um, I think it was a fifty nine yards you scored from in Alabama. Was that was that your longest kick ever? That was my longest. Yeah, yeah. In the pros, I think it was like fifty four or something like that. Yeah, but it's not the it's not the long ones. It's the uh, it's that thirty five yarder where the pressure's on, you know. Uh, but uh, I mean, you go back fifty yards, the kind of pressure's off, you know. You give it a good swipe, you hit it hard, and you know if it's uh, it makes it, you know, you're good. But 
There's there's some stat to look there. This one guy was ten of ten in his last kicks over fifty yards. That's unbelievable. Ten of ten, you know. Uh, then he missed a couple of short ones. But you know, it could come down to a bad extra point or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a huge part. But I would I'd go to experienced kicker uh, Buckner. Uh, he's been there before. He hit some big kicks and Super Bowl. I think he hit one to win it last year. I think so. He's been there, you know. That's very important. And finally, Neil, you said off air there that you were home in October, November. How how'd you find uh, being back in Ireland again? Oh, I love it. I, lo- I mean, I really do. I mean, there's no place like it, you know, you're from where you're from and, and uh, go back and visit. And actually, uh, when they had that launching of the uh, podcast, they had it at Round Towers uh, Gaelic Football Club. And I had seen there was fifty people there that I hadn't seen in fifty years, you know. And they walk up to you, and you're looking at them. Uh, okay, tell me who you are, you know. But it was uh, I, I love the place. Uh, I'm not a big drinker, but when I go back home, I enjoy having a Guinness, you know. I mean, I you can't get that anywhere else, you know. You can't get that social aspect of it, and the people are very so genuine. Uh, they had a great run with the, the rugby and you know, rugby's back on now. I'm a huge rugby fan. Um, it's just it's just a great sports town, great social place to be. You know, we went down to my dad was from Connemara, uh, a place called Spittle, and we went down there and we uh, stayed there for a couple of days and you know just kind of uh, went back in history. You know, nothing's really changed there. You know, so I always enjoy going back. You know, but. Uh, I couldn't take the weather. I couldn't take the weather anymore. It's just, you know, it's just, you get used to living, you know, in the sunshine. It's just, uh, you go back. It's the days, like, I remember getting up there. It was like, it didn't get bright till what, but 8.30 in the morning. And then it gets dark at 3 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, my God. I've forgotten those days, you know. But, uh, no, it's great. I don't mind the weather when I'm there. You know, knowing when I'm getting, when I'm coming back, you know, I'm coming back some decent weather. So, you know, but it's always, Ireland's great. I love it. I love it. Never, never left me. Never left me. And I watch, I watch, I see Rovers on, on, on uh, YouTube here, you know, every once in a while. So I tune into that, you know, but, um, yeah, I saw this, the stadium. I, you know, I was, uh, I went by there, uh, when I was home, you know, we drove by there. I don't know where we're going, but, um, you know, they seem like a good, good thing going on. You know, I mean, they seem like they're doing well. You know, they get into the year, get into Europe pretty much every year now. I'd imagine, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I saw a thing on. You, I watch YouTube a lot. I saw a thing on a guy he's over from England to watch the. Uh, I think it was Bows, was it Bows and Rovers? Yeah, you know, and uh, they're building that one stadium still. No, it must have been Daily Mount Park they're playing it. I think it was because the, the stadium, the, the 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 stand wasn't built on one side, you know. But I remember going to games. I remember one game in particular. It was, uh, I think, it was the World World Cup qualifier, and uh, we're behind the goal. Which one it was anyway? With little stand was packed. It was Ireland, Ireland versus Spain, and uh, Ireland beat Spain one nothing, and the guy. Is the bar? I remember the goal. It was is the bar to go. He he knocked it into his own goal. 
Charlie Hurley and Noel Cantwell were coming at him and he's got scared. <laughs> it was like well, the greatest thing ever happened, you know. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Frank O'Neill still claims that goal, by the way. He's he's annoyed that that goal that went down as an own goal. Uh, Isabar, wasn't that the, guy, the guy's name? Wasn't it? I thought it was yeah. Charlie Hurley and the Cantwell coming at the guy, man. He got so, uh, <laughs> I mean, you could see he was scared. He kind of turned around and right out, right in his own goal, you know. It was like, uh, <laughs> one nothing, beating Spain, you know. Great. Yeah, great memories, Stadium Mount Park, Middletown, you know. It's all great. It's all good. That's it, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure meeting you and hearing your story. Uh, it was fascinating. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Go Rovers, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have a good one. Take care of yourself. Yeah, so that was Neil. Um, fascinating stuff, Rob. Yeah, an incredible Fish oil water, yeah. I think, is that kind of type of thing I'm thinking of, Irishman in the NFL. Just an incredible story. He played played in the second game he saw. Played in the second game he saw. Yeah. So rules and he's just kicking though, isn't he? <laughs> Literally <laughs> it's like crazy though. <laughs> six foot six, don't see too many of them in the League of Ireland. Um that Dundalk feral player. Netestad, he was 6'6". Six, six. He was a monster, yeah. So, the two of them must be amongst the tallest players ever to play in this country. Um, Yeah, so he played nine years, three franchises, living in the US more than 50 years now. And uh, I love the story of him meeting OJ. He met the juice. He met the juice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. And just living the life now in... Uh in Florida Clearwater, Florida yeah Clearwater, Florida enjoying the the sunshine and living out his days so uh, big shout out to Neil O'Donoghue but fascinating to see that this coming around on Super Bowl week that they do have another Irishman kicking in the NFL as well so you'd, um, it's a short enough season in the NFL I think it's a three month mm. season so very interesting I know nothing about American football so I like watching it when it's I'm on. Sure, people Speaking tell me if that came across in the interview that I know nothing about it. But what's <laughs> what's your prediction for the Super Bowl again? Uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna go Mahomes to take home another trophy. Um, fascinating game, prof. Once you learn the basics and then you kind of get, like, you get to know it. It's it's a fascinating game. It really is. I think the winner will be. The beer commercials, <laughs> yeah, yeah, constantly halftime show, constantly interrupted by moments of sport. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know who's on the halftime show. Uh, yeah, so that was Neil O'Donoghue. But Prof, we are back. He's got the stats. There is a mathematician, a different kind of mathematician, and a statistician. Stats out. Garrett. Now, Manute University, Garrett. This lens has seen a cup game is an officially a competitive first game team game so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna call out stats treating that as a competitive first team game so it's the first time rowers conceded five goals since the 5-2 defeat to dundalk in june 2018 god enough was enough banner first time since then biggest home defeat since cork 5-0 in the 2016 fei cup and it's our third defeat to non-league opposition or Bradzer that was um, uh, Bradzer wasn't even there I'm aware of that but Thomastown 2017 Colester 2019 Shazzy's banishment <laughs> yeah <laughs> which didn't even happen yeah Colester 2019 give us a list to Colester uh, when when Collinstown beat us in Tala in the 2016 Leinster Senior Cup this was under, under Fenlin 
That was actually the first time we lost to a non-league club in any competition since Dunleary Celtic in the 1979. Dunleary Celtic, the Borough Hoops, are rejoicing right now. That was under Giles, yeah. And I actually didn't get a chance to look this up properly, but from memory, I'm pretty sure that Lettuce is the first goalkeeper to get a red card for us since Peter Say. In Ooh. the 2012 Satanta Cup against Derry in Tala. Um, I'm positive Big, Big Al was never sent off. Baz was sent off once in Bray in 2007. Can't recall any other Reds like Ryan Thompson, Richie Brush, Gambazuna was never sent off. Craig Hyland, Kevin Horgan, Tomer Hinchinski. Tomer gave away a wacky penalty in Bray, but he wasn't sent off. Um, so, yeah. 2012 Jeez. unless someone can prove me wrong on that one but I that's still remember that's, it like it was yesterday for some reason um, so we've won the President's Cup once on penalties against Pats and Talent 2022 lost two finals on penalties to Dundalk in Tad 21, 21 and up in Derry last year still waiting on our 2020 refunds uh, <laughs> Pats have won it once the inaugural competition which is which was created in honour of the fine man uh Michael D. Michael, Michael D. President Michael D. Higgins. Friend of the show, prof. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. We must get him back on again. Get him into the lair. He was great crack. And uh, funny enough, my article this week is about two things. It's about three things. Firstly, it's about how I'm a theatre buff now. And I'm writing about all the the theatrical shows I went to in the build-up to our show. Because our show was not just about... Tifties for me it was kind of like I'd become fascinated by the stage in the months leading up to this so it was kind of it was a mad experience for me to be you know dressing up as Peter Collins and all that stuff the second thing it's about is word searches because there used to be a word search in the program it used to be done by the junior hoops oh, yeah. but they have dropped the ball there so now yours truly is doing the word search really yeah, so I'll write a bit about... Are you going to get Mitzi involved? Mitzi's quite good at making more I'll, uh, I'll contact him, get some advice from him. Um, so yeah, I wrote a bit about the history of word searches and well, I say strategies. I mean, everyone knows a strategy. You just you look up, down, left and right to see where the words are. And the third thing it was about Michael D. Higgins. So a bit about him and his sporting interests and his, his, his musical life because... We've played that song before. Actually, we might, we might close the show with it before. I'm going to guess he, he, and say Michael D plays the lute. No, it's not playing music. It's It was a band called The Stunning in 1993 recorded a live album in a theatre in Galway. And Michael D recited a poem while they played music to it. What? And then that got released on an album. I didn't know that. Now, for some reason, go. if you were to pick them as... What type of instrument he plays? What what would you think? Oh, something very Irish anyway, yeah. I think, no, it's, he's, he doesn't strike well, me as not, a drummer. Not the bear on now, but... No, he doesn't strike me as a drummer. I think the lute or maybe some sort of harp. Mm, jazz flu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, so, um, yeah. So, yeah. other President's Cup-related stats. Um, if we were to lose, Gar, God forbid, if we get beaten. Last time we lost two cup finals in a row any cup in consecutive years was the league cup 
1986, 87 and 87, 88 to Dundalk and Cork respectively. Before that, you had to go back to the 60s. Top 4 Cup, Dublin City Cup, LFA President Cup, we had consecutive losses there. It's the first time that a President's Cup final, be it this one, FEI one or the Leinster one, will have a Rovers home match programme. Because this programme has been done by us, not the FEI. Yeah. First time since the 1978 final, we lost 3 1 to Bowes, and Noel King was sent off in his debut. Mm-hmm. And yeah, other than that, Gar, yeah, the program's back. Uh, lick of paint, Gar, bit of a, some <laughs> new lick of paint, some nice cool. Saw little, some graphics there, very yeah, cool. Some nice cool little uh, tweaks and designs and stuff, looking very good. All your favourite contributors are back. Like, so he's are going for the smoke, he's aren't happy. <laughs> he's want that program of the year, that's what uh, That's. I'm not speaking on behalf of my editor right now. I'm just speaking on behalf of myself. That is, that is bollocks. <laughs> that that award, the way it's decided, is bollocks. It's it's shady. It's done behind closed doors. We don't know how it's decided, right? Um, so all your favorite contributors are back: McDara, Ryan, Harry, Robert, Dave. Last minute Maloney. The gent. Last minute Maloney. Yeah. Excellent um, stuff. So there you go. Spend so, use our fibers on the President's Cup program. Uh, my last stat of the day, Gar, involves something that came up uh, a few weeks ago and I made a note of it, I found it interesting. If Celtic win the league, and it's a pretty tight race at the moment, um, Liam Scales can win a League of Ireland medal and a Scottish League medal. Yeah. How often has that been done? And I looked into this. Um, thanks to Jim Conroy for this one. I, I mightn't have thought this one myself. Uh, he came up with Alex Stevenson, who actually managed Pats to league wins in 1955 and 1956. He was a Dubliner, and he also won leagues with both Everton and Rangers. Everton and Rangers. Now that's but. that's some career, isn't it? Uh, in the 1930s, also played for Dolphin against Rovers in the 1932 FA final. And I found one more person who. Uh, debatable if you want to include this guy on the list now because it was as an assistant uh, Mick Conroy he won league as a player with both Celtic and Cork City so he won the league with Celtic and he came home and played a few seasons with Cork City but he had hung up his boots by 93 and he was an assistant manager when Cork won the, the title in 93 so up to yourselves if you want to include McConroy and that's that um, in terms of winning two cups John Daly has actually won cups in both countries uh, past last year and Dundee United in 2010 and for ourselves Adam Manus and Pierce O'Leary won both the Scottish Cup and the FBI Cup and in fact Big Al won cups for clubs in three different leagues so Linfield St. Johnson and Roberts yeah so Prof coming in hard with some stats well, you know, big guy, come in with bursts. I'll probably have none next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Prof, up next. It's the first one in a while. It's their starting 11s and predictions. So, Jaden's given me his starting 11 this week. Moya has been excluded. Um, she's next week. So, um, it's kind of tough to call. Uh, he, I've actually written mine here for a change, yeah. But go on, you go. You go for a section. I'm interested in seeing yours. Well, you know, I, I we kind of have to presume. So I, I'm going to presume injuries wise. 
I've left out Jack and McInniff. I presume they're yeah. going to start. Clark, maybe. I don't think he's featured much. I'm not too um, sure. See, that's the thing. We don't know. Yeah, well, I put Clark in. It's quite secretive. Am I stupid to put Clark in? He's not ready. I don't know. <laughs> that's the thing. I'm not sure. But go anyway. Let me see what you... Realistic yeah. enough choices that we think are going to be available. We'll go with that. Okay, well, maybe Clark's not realistic, but he, I've put him in anyway. So I've got Leon on goal. Clark and Freud, your wing backs. Grace, Hoare, Cleary. They're the obvious choice because Pigo is only back from the AFCON. Um, from a cloud, I'm gone. Burns, Poom, Gary O'Neill, Burke. Ooh. And Gaffney up front. Well, I'm going Leon, Grace, Cleary, Hoare, Cavo and Ferruja. For some reason, I don't think Clark is going to start. Gary O'Neill, Tell, Borky, Gaff and Bournes. So it's more of a the cloud, you know, it's a cloud prof, you know what happens with the cloud. So, so you made one change there. I had Poom, but I scratched him out. I want to see Bournes. So you have Tell instead of Poom and you have Cabo, okay? Yeah, I've got Poom. I want to see Bournes against Pat, so um, it will add to the spice considering they have the whole East Stand prof as well, which is good. There's a lot of buzz about Pats at the minute. I mean, they're, they're flying, they won the cup. They've new players in. They really, really are building themselves up for the season. So it's definitely going to be a they good all, occasion. They always bring the most fans to Tala, don't they? Consistently every season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to go two all Rovers Penos. Is there Penos? There, there is Penos. Because there's no extra Straight time. Straight to Penos, no extra time. So two all mm. and Rovers Penos. Into the South Stand. Every, every Sorry, into go. the New North Stand. <laughs> yeah. Every Presence Cup every year. Watch for it, folks. Someone will ask, is this game televised? Answer, has the Presence Cup ever been televised? No. Does this game go straight to Penos or is there extra time? It's always straight to Penos. Presence Cup, Community Shield, Charity Shield. Always been the case. Don't be annoying the prof. Yeah, don't be annoying me. So, yeah, I, I can see more Penos myself here. Yeah, I'm going to say one all Penos. And yeah, into the North Stand. Into the North Burn Stand. Burns scores the winning Penos. Into the North Stand. Against his old club. Speaking of the North Stand, limited tickets and they're now sold out. So uh, 6k over 6k sold as of last Thursday. So we're going to be hitting towards the 7k easy in a big big season or the curtain draw. What are they called? The curtain opener. Curtain. The razor. curtain razor. So um, well, I don't know what the maximum is with the limited. Like it's a 10,000 seat stadium, but with the limited capacity, I'm not sure what the potential is. Either way, it's looking good. And the annual Pride of Rings end draw is taking place tonight. Tuesday as we record so you can still sign up become a member for the season for 15 euros so it's an exclusive whatsapp group uh, Revolut Ben Stafford the retirement fund he's <laughs> gonna kill us um, yeah so the Pride of Rings end top top hoops SC uh, a great great supporters club and keeping the tradition alive in Rings end so um, yeah we're members of a couple of years now yeah I'm a member great um, I was no worth worth joining up Get involved with the Rings and community. They're great guys. Yeah, they're brilliant fellas. Um, we also have Brian McConville. So big, big shout out to Brian and thanks for the for the gifts for the quiz as well. So big shout out to Brian. But the original artwork went on sale and there's a few left from this print run. So another print run went out, sold out, and then it's back up again. So the phones go to Jack and McDonough. But big, big shout out to Brian and um, for making it available and donating the phones to Jack or something. Yeah, I actually have mine here. I haven't actually removed it from the, the packaging yet. I'm, I'm just trying to decide where to put it. Maybe this, maybe the layer. It has to go in the layer. Again, right front and centre above the the bookcase. Uh, no, the, the gargle case that holds the, the Powers Whiskey and the Moretti and 
the Peroni episode. Yes, there you go, front and center, prof. Right That's there. two things. Like I said, I don't buy many jerseys, and I'm not a poster guy. But when I saw this, I was like, "This is going on my wall somewhere." Ah, oh, you got to frame it as well. I've got another one. Uh, you know that artwork for the Milan game. Yeah, I remember Ronan Finn and was it Zlatan? Who's the other player? Um, I've always loved that poster, so I want to stick that somewhere as well. Definitely get yourself to IKEA, get yourself a frame for it as well, because the artwork is brilliant. I'm more interested in artwork than I am photos of players. You know what I mean? The I just, culture I like, is just flowing here. I like the culture and the the quirkiness of the artwork. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that you kind of just get lost in because you're staring yeah, at it, you're yeah. noticing things, and like, oh, there's there's something else. So yes. That is it for this week. We will be back next week in another Tifty's Hotline season predictions and Valentine's Day edition. So it's going to get steamy. The love edition. The love zone. A February tradition now. So uh, Dundalk at home to kickstart the league, Prof. We are buzzing for it. But first of all, we had the little matter of the Prez Cup to get done and dusted first. So hopefully we will see in the North Stand. Yep. Get your woody hats and your Rovers Sherbert fleece blanket in the club shop. Yeah, that's actually a cracker, by the way. I'm going to pick that up for the, those cold nights. So uh, that's it. This is... See, see you in the north, Stand and keep on hooping. See ya. Well, folks, when you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48% of the time. Why didn't you say that before? <laughs> okay, Jimmy, you're off the hook. We got Miami, Cincinnati coming up. Any thoughts? I certainly do, Brett. I hereby declare Miami to be Smooth Jimmy's luck of the week. Ooh, that's a big luck, all right. But I just don't trust that guy. In the Cincinnati-Miami game, I declare Cincinnati to be my shoe-in of the week. Hmm, they both make a good case. After evaluating millions of pieces of data in the blink of an eye, the Gambletron 2000 says the winner is... Cincinnati by 200 points. Why, you worthless hunk of junk? Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it.